All right, everybody. Welcome to, I think this is episode. A special edition. A special edition. A very special, this yeah. Friday, a very special episode of yeah. Radio Free Otorno. Uh Today, we are talking about the uh, events in Israel um, with regards to the uh, big attack by Hamas, uh, the Israeli response. And, uh, but I also wanted to look at... I think we'll talk we'll talk about the military aspects a little bit of it, but I really wanted to focus in on what I saw as the rise of of of, of anti-semitism uh, or open acknowledgments of people's own anti-semitism uh, within the West, as mm. like you say, the Democratic uh, Socialists of America organized rallies in support of Hamas in the United States while the attack was still going on. Uh, the day after the attack, there was a number of, uh, uh, of pro-Hamas uh, demonstrations in basically every major city in Canada. Every major city in the Western world, it seemed. Yeah. And so, uh, and I found this uh, personally kind of concerning. So I wanted, to, I wanted to kind of focus on that a little bit. Uh, but yeah, let, let's maybe uh, we start at the beginning of, the, of the, what I'm calling the second uh, Yom Kippur War. Yeah. Can, now, can I ask you a, a quick question on that? Like uh, in your invitation to us on that, you you mentioned that you it was kind of breaking down along kind of anticipated ideological lines. Could you like? I haven't really been following that, so I'm going to ask you to elaborate on that. Well, like you say, the uh, uh, so I mean the conservative movement. In North America and the United States has generally always been pro-Israel, mm-hmm. uh, so it's expected that the right in yep. North America would support Israel, and generally they have. Mm-hmm. Now, there's there's, there's uh, the I think there's a huge point of order to be made on that, depending on well, again, our definition of right. Or let's say from Republicans, right. Democrats. Could, could you say that? Would that yeah? Be, the re- okay. Republicans typically now, of course, there's the new element of yeah. the new right. Yeah, that's a little anti-Semitic and a little yeah. anti-foreign intervention, and, and they yeah, very right. isolationist. Very well, isolationist. I, I would so, say the same thing on the Democratic side. The, the Democrats have largely, like, yeah. the center Democrats have always been well. There's pro-Israel, this there's pro-Jewish. The, I get a lot, yeah, yeah, a lot but of funding from the Jewish community. Yeah, so uh, but now it's the radical end of. Well, the Democratic Party. That yeah, is because we have what uh, what yeah. people, what some people are calling. I've heard it. Uh, I know Matt. I've heard Matt Continetti say it, uh, and a lot of people Matt, saying who? it. Who? Continetti. Okay, yeah. Who uh, yep. at? Uh, is he the Federalist, or is he n- National Review? No, uh, commentary. Okay, commentary. And he works at AEI. Anyway, uh, call it the. It's now the ideological horseshoe. Mm. So the fringes at the ends of the horseshoe. Getting mm-hmm. closer together and starting to find more common cause with each other. So you mm-hmm. get the uh, one side of the horseshoe is the, is the extreme right, one of the side is the extreme left. Um, oh, so like, so at, at the top of the horseshoe are the de- uh, Republicans and the Democrats, but at the bottom of the horseshoe, the Republicans and the Democrats, well, the, the extreme are coming together, or is that no? It, it, at the center, or do I have it the opposite? Yeah, the I think you have an opposite. the extreme. Uh, so the, the Republicans the and Democrats the are meeting at the at the base of the U, right? Which is the moderates. Yeah, that's the moderates, right? So the line, so the ideological line would say would be bisect the, hor- the horseshoe mm-hmm, in half. Mm-hmm. One side is Repu- base, mainstream Republicans, one side is mainstream Democrats. And as you get out to the ends, to the tips of the horseshoe, that's where the fringe movements are. And okay. as the horseshoe curves back in towards itself. Oh, right. right. That's why it's the ideological right. horseshoe. Okay. So. so anyway, yeah. So yes, there are elements on the right. So the support for Israel 
is not as strong as the right as, as it has been. But even, excuse me, even the, uh, uh, like the most extreme people on the right who are, are still making more like of the libertarian non-foreign interventionist yes. isolationist argument. The, uh, they're not making the anti-Semitic argument that it? the left is, the, uh, the hard left is making. Okay, so what, what's the name of that guy who used to be on Fox? He got fired and now he's bigger than ever doing his own... Tucker Carlson? Yeah, the Tucker Carlson. Yeah, he's on, he's on... He's on the isolationist side. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's saying like America shouldn't be involved in anything. Right. So this is one of the... I saw the same thing in the way that that the message was sent out to us, Patty. And, 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 you know, along the quote-unquote expected ideological lines. And so that put a flag up for me, right? And that's why I spoke up quickly. I said, listen, anti-Semitism... I mean, yeah, the the right isn't all about supporting Israel. And and here, I mean, this is where we start to get into one of the dif- differentiations going to come up in at least one other form throughout this conversation, which is the difference between Israel and Jewish people, mm-hmm. right? So the, the attitude towards those two things, the perception of those two things on the right, those can be two different concepts, right? But <clears throat> so... My starting point with this, and using the example that brought up the concern with you, that you obviously find distasteful for a reason, I get it, right? So I'd like to parse out why, <clears throat> what anti-Semitism means in the context of this statement that was made even as the attacks were going on, right? So, because I do not believe that I'll open by saying the attacks by Hamas were abhorrent and are not to be supported or tolerated in any way, shape, or form. There's nothing that I'm going to say today um, that supports anything along those lines, right? But as we're discussing the concept of anti-Semitism in this context, is the anti-Semitism that you are are you you are labeling this? Is it because they stood with Hamas. Is the anti-Semitism because they there was an expressed, um, if not celebration, but at least um, yeah, I'm not sure what it's not, it's not quite celebration, but uh, um, an advocation of the attacks, right, which again, even themselves might not specifically, in advocating that the attacks were something to be supported that is not necessarily directly uh, anti-Semitic. Can I, can I try and summarize that in different words and then you tell me if, I, if I've <laughs> captured you? Sure. That being anti-Zionist, yes. in other words, opposed to the... the hegemony of the Israeli state Mm -hmm. is not necessarily anti-Semitic that the target uh, like are you are you kind of saying that maybe are you asking the question if the intent is the overthrow of Israeli hegemony in the region not a hatred of Jewish people writ large yeah, I mean that's I, I agree with that, or even a criticism, or or you're asking, right? like, is you is know, that the situation? Like, you're not stating <clears throat> that; you're saying, uh, well, you're, I, you're making an inquiry across the yeah. board, right? I think anti-Semitism mm-hmm. 
is as as a label has mm. to be very very carefully used in the same way that now the 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 label of terrorism mm. it can't be a has, blanket catch-all exactly people yeah. throw that around now again there is no question that the acts of hamas eight days ago uh is, is no question that those were acts of terrorism yes right but it, it's We'll get into this, this, the context of using these words mm-hmm. many, many times throughout this conversation. Yeah. So bringing it back around to Steve's origin, original concern, is the statement by whatever labor movement, <clears throat> labor organization that you named, um, is it the statement itself simply because it was in support of Hamas? Does that make it anti-Semitic? Is that what you're talking about? No, okay. I will. Uh, I will. I will say. Um, I think. Well, I think Hamas's charter, which is explicitly against mm-hmm. the state of Israel, but it's also explicitly against Jewish people. Oh yeah, it's a manifesto it, of hate. There's no it's a manifesto of hate, and it is. It is anti-Semitic. Yes. Okay. Yes. All the people who are chanting from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Right. Maybe don't want to eliminate all the Jews. So, you know, that can be an anti-Israel statement, not without... Now, most 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 American Jews and most, most North American Jews, I think, will say that's anti-Semitic. I think it's arguable, right? Like, okay, I, I'm agreeing with the point that, yes, you can be anti-Israel, anti-Zionist, yes, without, anti-Zionist. Being, without being anti-Jewish. <clears throat> And this is oh, usually, yeah, and this absolutely. is right. this is the so, defense that's usually offered in America. Well, yeah, I'm not an expert. I don't follow this super close, but it seems to me that this is the defense that's usually offered within the American internal debate, where um, the the traditionally affiliated to the Republican side or the pro-Israel, although it is kind of bipartisan, it is bipartisan. The pro-Israel lobby within America has always said. You guys who are opposing this aid or support to Israel are anti-Semites. You don't want to help them because they're Jewish. Whereas the opposite side was, no, 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 no. Um, I got no problem with people being Jews. I, I, like, I'm not against, like, uh, uh, I'm not advocating closing down synagogues in, in America or anything like that. I just don't think we should be supporting Israel. And this was the, the counter the, the counter argument saying like I'm, I'm opposed to Israeli imperialism. I'm opposed to Israeli occupation of this or that or the other thing. I got no problem with the fact that they're Jews. Whereas the other side has said, no, you're a racist bastard. Well, and I, and, I, and yeah. you just hate Jewish people. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, I, I don't believe that's acceptable. I mean, that, yeah. that is, that is shutting down the conversation um, unreasonably um, and yeah. deliberately. Yeah. yeah. Right. I, it, and, and both sides do that. Like when yeah. you talk about, um, uh, the the whole summer of love and and like on the screen there we had uh, briefly we had that image from uh, BLM's uh, Twitter account yeah uh, where unequivocally that is kind of this uh, that with the the guy with the parachute this silhouette of the guy in a paraglider with a Palestinian flag on it I'm sorry man you put that up there I'm saying you support the attack like yeah. well, the I results see, of but but that's that's look, the only just, thing. just to finish on okay, that go ahead. Um, it's used the anti-Semitism argument is used to to it's not used to defeat the 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 anti-Israel argument. It's used to discredit it. It's used to shut it down in the same way that 
when somebody said, you know, these all these riots in 2019 and 2020 were wrong and should be stopped. It was, well, you're a racist. You hate black people. It was both sides have used this argument as a way to, well, it's not an argument, have used this slander as a way to discredit their opponent instead of actually dismantling their, their argument, right? So mm-hmm. this is kind of a problem that we have in our contemporary discourse. Well, I, I, I've always felt, I've felt that actually for a number of years now that <clears throat> you, you raise an interesting point for me because I've, I've always considered uh, anti-Zionist as anti the existence of Israel. Uh, you put mm. you put it in slightly different terms. I think you're right. Anti- yeah. like, anti- strictly speaking, yes, and 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 I will re- I, I will stand to be corrected on that. Yeah, because anti-Zionist is anti-Israel, but in today's day and age, I'm not. Sh- I think the majority of people, and I'll even say this for the majority of Arabs, understand that Israel is a permanent reality. Well, and it's I, not going anywhere. And and like, yeah, Steve did mention that there are radicals from the river to the sea, eliminate the existence of it. I think the average guy on the street in the Arab world understands that, okay, Israel's still going to be there. Yeah. But what the problem is, is they still feel a need for a Palestinian statehood, that there still must be a political home for the Palestinian nation. And they don't, like the concept of Israel being the local superpower who can act with, again, this is a matter of perception more than reality. Um, Or I'm not prepared to say that this is the reality, but I am prepared to say this is absolutely the perception on the Arab street that Israel can act with impunity, with complete disregard for its neighbors. And they don't feel that that is a situation that is tenable or should be allowed to stand. They don't feel that is just. Now, how do I express that? What label can I use well, for I, anti-Israeli <clears throat> hegemony? So I, well, I, I think, got lazy and I used anti-Zionist. Well, I think no, you're absolutely right. I think you, you, you got me thinking. Mm-hmm. I think it is actually a, a very accurate way of painting it. Instead of, instead of saying, let's call anti-Zionism uh, anti the existence of the yeah, state of yeah. Israel... And to the hegemony, because that's yeah. how it's playing out yeah. in a number of ways. Yeah, right? yeah I think that's kind of yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of like the modern evolution of it. In 1961, mm-hmm. it was absolutely anti the existence of the state of Israel. Yeah, hundred percent. But now, like, like how long has it been since 49, man? Like what? Was, seventy was it years? Forty nine or forty eight? Forty eight. Yeah, yeah, forty eight. No, 48. It's been like seventy years. Seventy five. Right. You know. So yeah. I think that even. The other thing is there's a lot of people in the Arab world who understand the need for Israel. Or not need, but it, be- it suits their uh, terms very nicely. The Gulf uh, Arabs. Like, say what you want. The Israelis are more like the Arabs than any other people on the planet. Mm-hmm. And the Arabs are more like the Israelis than any other people on the planet. They use each other as a very subtle and deniable conduit to speak to third parties. The Arabs, particularly the Gulf Arabs and the Egyptians, use Israel as a conduit to the United States. The Israelis use the Arabs as a conduit to China uh, and the Far East, or say to, to the Near East, like India, Pakistan. I actually, actually, 
for once, um, I, I push back. I don't think that's an accurate statement. Okay. Right. Uh, I think, yeah, I mean, Israel is enough of a player in the world that it has its own diplomatic when you want China deniability, okay, right? When you want under the table negotiations. Well, right? again, I would argue that Egypt, the Gulf states, and Saudi in particular, mm-hmm. uh, they they've got no problem dealing with the U.S. on their own. Oh yeah, they don't, they don't but, need to go through. Well, what I mean is, when it's actually more the other way around. When they, you're asking for understanding, like sometimes the Americans do stuff that the Gulf Arabs simply do not understand. Mm-hmm. Like they don't get it. Like, why in the hell, for example, they cannot understand how the Americans flip-flop on issues. One day, you're all in favor of this, and eight years later, you're not. This baffles the Gulf Arabs. Mm. Case in point, Afghanistan. 2005, you were all in. 2022, you walk away. Mm. What the hell? They don't understand that. Um, Ephraim Halevi, uh, who was a former um, uh, senior commander of uh, Israeli intelligence, uh, wrote in his memoirs, he had a really interesting chapter on that, about how Israel and uh, the Middle East, particularly Jordan and the Gulf states, have a very, very um, active uh, sotto voce diplomatic conduit to each other. Oh, yeah. And that there is a lot of, like, Saudis talk a lot about how they don't, how they uh, don't like the, the, the existence of Israel and mm-hmm. won't formally acknowledge it. But he said there is a very healthy diplomatic relationship between Jerusalem and, and the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Because again, for the Saudis um, and for the Egyptians, the existence of Israel is a very, very check, a very effective check on the power of Iran and Syria. Mm-hmm. Very powerful counterbalance that the, that the Gulf states and the Egyptians do not want to handle on their own. For the Jordanians, they have always been the weaker of the, the regional Arabic powers. Well, they've also been the most westernized and the most stable. Right. Without the existence of Israel, say Israel never happened in 1948 and say it was still Palestine, do you think that uh, Jordan would exist? Probably not. No. He probably wouldn't. No. So the Hashemite kingdom understands that Israel is a de facto guarantor of its security that might be a bit strong well, but i get the concept yeah yes. there's syria or iraq or iran would have absolutely invaded jordan by this time mm-hmm. if it were not for the existence of israel so for the weaker arab states like you know presumably and it um for the smaller guys like the lebanese like the Iraqis, or not the Iraqis, the Lebanese, the Jordanians, the Kuwaitis, the Gulf states, the smaller emirates, Israel is a force of, stu- of stability and enforcing the status quo. I mean, that if- prevents the Syrians, the Iraqis, the Iranians from, or the, even the Egyptians for that matter, from forcibly trying. Like the history of the Arab world has been a struggle between Cairo, Damascus, and Baghdad for control over the entire Arab-speaking world. It has been a struggle between those three capitals. Yeah, well, until... Going back to the Mamluks. Until Mecca. Ah, but Mecca is a religious center, but not a political... Yeah, yeah, it is. And the Saudis have never really had the... I mean, the Saudis can't even force control over the Arabian Peninsula. 
Although they try, but they know that they can't. Mm. The Arabs have never, ever ruled themselves until the 20th century. They have always been ruled by foreign powers, be it... With the exception of the Gulf states. Like the Arabian Peninsula was never ruled by anyone. Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah, they were. (laughs) The Ottomans Ottomans extended there to a certain extent. By Turks, by Persians, by Europeans. Mm, Not by Europeans. In the no 20th European. century, the Europeans controlled a large portion of the, of, of the Arab world. Like, not, yeah. not the Gulf states. Not the Gulf states. Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states, yeah. I'm speaking of in particular. Yeah, right? but they even, were not even ruled the, by Europeans. In the first war, right, they were, yeah. they were independent Bedouin tribes. Well, right? they, they were, were, they they were, were ruled un- by the, the Ottomans. Ottomans. The Ottomans yeah. were there, but I mean, that was, I don't know. It was, it, was a, it was a neglectful rule, and they had a lot, those Bedouin tribes had yeah. a lot of autonomy. Yeah. But yeah. they never had their own political control. Right? Yeah, like the so, Brits, the Brits had to do a lot of convincing yeah. to get the, the the Saudi tribes yeah. to turn against the Ottomans, the Ottomans right? Because mm-hmm. they because yeah. they had a pretty good deal under the Ottomans, and they weren't, you know, yeah, they were alone. largely left alone yeah. to do. However, but they were still Ottoman. They were still <laughs> controlled by the Ottomans, yeah. and it, the deal was like, look, as long as you are a petty, poor, illiterate tribe on the fringe of starvation. We'll let you do whatever the hell you want. And that's great if you're the chieftain of that petty, poor, illiterate, barely starving tribe because you're not starving and you're not poor. Mm. But if you are the emerging intellectual and middle class that starts to form in the 19th century. There he goes, bringing class into (laughs) it again. You know, you're beginning to see like, this is a pretty raw deal, man. Like... Like the people who emerged or who came up in these emerging urban areas and cities, hmm. they began to, to, to chafe under that Ottoman rule. And of course, this is why the Ottoman Empire never reformed after the Second World War. Well, I think so. I mean, <clears throat> this is one of the reasons. Well, yeah, but there was the European mandates. Yeah. What I mean is like after the Second World War is the first time the Arab nations have ever had real, honest-to-God self-rule. Well, and some of those yeah. were kind of artificially created. Like This like is true, but Lebanon, still. <laughs> Lebanon, Syria, yeah. Jordan, yep. um, Kuwait, in fact. Yep. Kuwait was, in fact, and this is yeah. the old, this is closest I'm going to come to having any affinity with Saddam Hussein, but Kuwait actually used to be part of Iraq. Right, sure. And it was just kind of artificially But there's a off. very good reason... Why all of these people who have the same language, the same religion, and the same culture have never said, you know, we should actually, it doesn't make sense for us to be separate. We should unify. Why don't, well, we, why don't we come together and, and become one super state, one, one united Arab homeland? There's a very good reason why this has not happened. And there's a very good reason why they didn't go back to Ankara or Istanbul and say, hey, man. Why don't you guys come in and run the thing again? We kind of like the way you did it. Well, they, they, funnily enough, you mentioned who do you, you mentioned Cairo, Damascus, mm-hmm. and Baghdad. And Baghdad. Yeah. Right. Well, there was the attempt at the United Arab Republic yep. back yes. in the sixties and seventies. Yes. Yep. Um, and obviously that didn't last. Right. Um, it was, I, I think by the time I found it, it had happened or it paid attention uh, and realized what it had been. It, it was already gone. Yes. Right. But that was those three. But days. it was. It was. And it was also very much driven by Nasser in Egypt. Right. It was, it, was, it was a unified country in the way that Yugoslavia was a unified country, which was basically a Under Serbian Tito. state yeah, that had hegemony over the other constituent groups. Mm. And they chafed under that. Well, 
once everyone, I mean, the UAR only took place because Syria was in a position of extreme weakness at the time. Mm. And as soon as the uh, Assad dynasty was able to reassert it, there was no interest yeah. in, in, in further subservience to, to Egypt at that point. Right. So I'm, I'm going to take the opportunity right now to express that this is exactly as I foresaw this conversation mm-hmm. going. We haven't mentioned Hamas or Israel nope, in 15 minutes. But we've right? got to set because, the tone, right? You've got, because, to, you've got to set the table. Because this is such a layered complex. Yeah. Bringing it back to the events. Yep. The events were horrific. Shouldn't have occurred. Uh, Hamas, I don't think we're stating that Hamas is in any way uh, a positive thing. No, right? no, we're not. Uh, or an acceptable thing. <clears throat> Um, but you can't you can't analyze something without knowing why it happened. Exactly, and that's what right. we're trying, but, uh, trying but, to do here. But even that's going to be difficult, right? I mean, there, there are so many. Basically, this is just generations, the literal generations upon generations, going back as far as you choose. Now we're mm-hmm. going back to at least eighteen forty or nineteen forty-eight. Yep, and the Holocaust. Yep, but I mean, there were already people, Jewish people. In Palestine. Yes, there already were. Yes. Setting up kibbutz, kibbutzim. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and, yeah. And so, and that was a source of tension. And, and, and yeah, and it was, yeah. It the huge, was, yeah. the huge irony is, of course, that it was the, the horrific events of the Holocaust. That kickstarted. Yeah, that, that allowed yeah, that for, project. that allowed for the rest of the world, the yeah. world to band yeah. together and yeah, the give Holocaust. rise to yeah. the, the existence of the state I, of Israel. I, I, I want to, I want to uh, just put a plug in here for uh, Daryl Cooper's Martyr Made podcast and his mm-hmm. first six or seven episodes, which is about 20 hours of podcasting yeah. on the history of the Arab-Israeli conflict leading yeah. up to the formation of Israel. Um, so it's, it's not to say, it's very balanced, um, yeah. and, and it's not to say that, that Palestinians don't have any historical grievances here. Or right, and Palestinian I think that, that is that is critical, but it's to uh, be able to maintain. Now, it's it's important to know. I just want to lay some some context. It is important to know that the Zionist movement started in the nineteenth, the late nineteenth yes. century. Yep. Uh, one of the leaders of the Zionist movement was personal assistant to the Prime Minister of Great Britain, which is important because Britain ended up governing a lot of that area for the better part of forty years. But they also abstained from the vote for the creation of Israel. They did. Uh, he was, uh, I think, dead by that point. But uh, no, but I'm just saying the the United but, Kingdom. Yeah, yeah, the United Kingdom did. But uh, the you British know, and the Israelis don't have the greatest relationship after that whole King David Hotel thing. No, no, they yeah. kept. They're pretty annoyed. But you know, so throughout the history of, of like, especially the interwar period yeah. of Palestine. Um, you know the the Jewish immigration started yep. kind of uh, pretty heavy a little bit before the first war, world yep. war, uh, and then increased it, yeah, after it, the it first really world war. It really kicked in in the twenties and thirties. Yeah, yep. it really did. And Palestinians or or, or Palestinian Arabs, I guess, because yep. Palestinians is kind of an artificial creation. But but anyway, the Arabs kind of started to see how this demographic thing was yep. going, and they weren't happy about it. Yeah, and they made, and, they were, and they made those concerns very clear to the British. Yes, they did. They even went, like, groups of, 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 of Arab leaders went to the yep. UK to, to protest and, yep. and appeal directly to the Prime Minister and to yep. Parliament, and they were basically, all their complaints fell on deaf ears. Well, and there was a summit, there was yeah. some attempt by the British to restrict immigration. There was. There yeah, was yeah. some attempt. But after the... Uh, 
after the, Bel- the Second World War, well, though. After, but the Belfort, you know, but even after yeah. the Belfort Declaration at the end of the First World War, yeah. um, you know, they had a lot of issues. So there was, you know, then there was the 1936 Palestine or Arab uprising. Yep. was put down pretty brutally by the mm-hmm. Brits. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I when I when I learned some of the things that happened, I'm like, oh, so that's where Hussein got that idea. Mm-hmm. Like. Uh, one of the, the key units, and there's more than multiple units, one of the key units putting it down was the Ulster Regiment. And mm-hmm. if you took a pot shot at the Ulster Regiment, they went to the nearest village, yeah. demolished houses, like evacuated families of other houses, blew up the houses, and then gave the families the bills for the explosives. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, yeah. they, they did all kinds of crazy shit those, like that, right? Those, those, and, those no- in Northern Ireland, they're rough people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, they, 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 uh, you, I mean look... This is Northern Ireland, people. Look what they do to themselves. Yeah. Well, yeah, but the, and uh, this brings up the, the black yeah. and tan. And the, yeah. and the other thing is... is, is um, They're not like, afraid of violence. There were, there were Jewish yeah. uprisings at the same time, like some of the yeah. Jewish, uh, yeah. Jewish armed groups uprising sometimes. But, and it always seemed to work out that every time the Arabs up, uh, rose up in, in yeah. some form of violence, they were put down harder than the Jews. Mm-hmm. And there was always some reason, whether it was uh, political interference in Europe or some other reason, that when the Jews, yep. when the, the the mandates were putting down Jewish uprisings, they never got put down as hard as the Palestinians mm-hmm. did. And the Palestinians saw that. Mm-hmm. So and it's not, like I say, there's historical, there's they have historical grievances that are valid. Yes. And, you know, and they, they saw what they saw as their homeland for the last couple thousand years. Yep. You know. both, yeah, both sides have a claim to that territory. Yeah. And that, I mean... Well, and if you go a couple thousand years before that to when the Jews fled Israel, right? Yeah. They, they kind of went on a campaign of, of uh, ethnic cleansing to, to yep. make that their homeland anyway, to get, get basically uh, clear out the remnants, I guess, of yeah, the Assyrian I mean, Empire, right? I, I, if, <laughs> if you want to go I, we six, do not, 7, We years, don't want to go back that far because, yeah. that, you know, now, but, well, now it's like, okay, now we're tearing down statues mm-hmm. of... Yeah, of Julius Caesar in Rome because yeah he was a pretty sadistic. But this is what we are. This is the reality of where we're at. It is so complicated in our domestic politics. It's that complication that needs to be like kept in the background to everything we discuss about what's going. Like like it touches in like our discussion last week. What makes someone indigenous? Yeah. Unfortunately, the reality of the Middle East is those the legitimacy of both sides claim i don't think you can say one guy's claim is more legitimate than the other well and again this gets tricky so if we're going back to whenever it was Mm -hmm. that the the jewish diaspora was created yep right i can was it under the romans yeah yeah, yeah. okay so two thousand years or something like that right so it's not even quote-unquote their fault they didn't leave they were forced out they they were dispersed yeah right so, after that time, it, it was no longer Israel yep. as they had known it up to yep. that point. Yep. Right? It was a Roman state and eventually it became part of the inhabited by what yep. came to be known as Arab Palestinians. Yeah. Right? Um, and a- again, the supreme horrific irony that the Holocaust became the trigger for the creation of the state of Israel. Yep. Yes. Without it, there yeah. would be no state of there Israel. wouldn't have been the impetus in the immediate the, post-war. Well, there wouldn't have been the the wholesale guilt and shame felt by uh, the world at large yeah. and what had yeah. occurred 
yeah. that would where they you know their only possible reaction to it was well obviously we cannot deny the Jewish people yeah. and, and this, this is why the Israel. British and the, were and the never same. really able to stop that flood of Jewish immigration yeah. to the Middle East in spite of their agreements with the Palestinians saying that they would because again they felt that overwhelming sense of guilt and shame of like oh my god this happened yeah. well, right it, under our noses and it's not like they didn't see the warning signs in the 1930s oh, like uh, after yeah. 33 and, well people yeah. have been turning back yeah. loads of Jewish exactly. Jewish people yeah um you know so that added to and here we yeah. are we literally have now more shiploads of Jewish people uh refugees running for the promised land yeah uh, yep. pulling up on the beaches jumping out running what are you going to shoot them yeah. yeah, you know, now that we've got movie yeah. cameras and cameras, and the world is watching, and the world is sympathetic, like yep. no, there was no way that that was not going to end up in the state of Israel. Yeah, yeah, and and so we, we ended up like Israel, the state of Israel is the last, most most recent, obviously, but basically the last European colonization, right? If you're, and, con- and, and like you're considering of- the influence of the Ashkenazim, yeah, 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 so it's. Oh, yeah, that's okay. That's an interesting adjunct to the whole concept as well. But you're right. That's a very interesting way of yeah. putting it. I would not even characterize it, but I believe it is. No, but one the, of the, the parallels are so, are so significant. West, it's, it's one of the reasons that, that the Western world, I believe, uh, feels an affinity for Israel uh, that it does not feel for the Arab nations. Yes, because right. Israel is a Western state because of the Ashkenazim yeah, the Ashkenazi were Europeanized over you know their thousand years of residency in Europe, mm-hmm. but they were Westernized by their thousand years of residency in the West, mm-hmm. and they took that culture with them when they created Israel. Mm-hmm. And this is something that's often a struggle within Israel politics that the dominance of the Ashkenazim over, say, Sephardic Jews. Mm-hmm. Um, Who actually are making up the majority of Jews in Israel now. Yeah, the Sephardic yeah exactly. Yeah, because of migration, right? Yeah. And so it's this demographic shift away from the Ashkenazim towards the Sephardics yeah. and, and other groups uh, whose just names escape me right now. Um, but yeah, this is why we have, we in the West have uh, seen an affinity with Israel mm-hmm. because they were more like us culturally. Exactly. Than than the Arab well, and also in their institutions and yep, <clears throat> just, yeah. And, yeah. And, but it started with that empathy and sympathy. Yep. You know, starting in forty four, yep. forty five, and it was and it was to me it was an act of absolute colossal stupidity by the Arabs that they did not seek an affinity with the West on cultural basis of being a monotheistic Abrahamic faith. And instead, when faced with the challenge of Israel in 48, those morons, and I'm going to say it, it was stupid, ran to the worst enemy the West had, which was the Soviet Union. Had Nasser, had uh, the other Arabic leaders, instead sought a rapprochement with the United States on the basis of religious faith. Because it's not like the United States always had a love affair with Judaism. They no, did not. Absolutely not. American traditional, um, like going back through the 17th and 18th centuries, America had a very deep anti-Semitic streak. Oh, there's no question. But again, and had the Arabs gone to, um, like taken a page out of Lawrence of Arabia and gone to the United States 
playing that angle of we are both peoples of the book. We are an Abrahamic faith. And there are so many parallels between Islam and Christianity that they could have played up to, to drive a wedge between America and Israel. It was such an internal, I'm not saying right and wrong. I'm saying like in, in terms of effectiveness, it was such an opportunity lost by the Arab states and a colossal blunder that is playing out no, okay. in, now, in front of us right now. Are you talking post the first war? Yes, post 48. Post 48. Yeah. Post the 48 war. Okay, because yep. if you're talking about going into the 48 war, um, that would have been a whole day. They wouldn't have been realistic at all. No. It was post 48. It was yep. Truman in power. Yep. Um, and there was that essentially the state of Israel is not going to not exist. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, get used yep. to that. And and they were looking at this going, what the f- what the hell do you mean? Mm-hmm. You're, you're just going to magically wave your magic wand. It's going to be this Jewish state where yeah. there wasn't one yeah. three minutes ago, right? Like, yeah. And, and that, and I think there's the biggest grievance of the Palestinian people, right? Oh yeah, um, sure. That, like I said, they're, I'm not they're, talking about right or wrong. Right. I'm saying they had a problem, and they chose the worst possible means of like they need. They had a foreign. They had a problem. They needed foreign support. Mm-hmm. They made the dumbest decision possible in where to seek foreign support. Now, well, just, they couldn't I, go right away, but because um, actually, Perun just had a very good video mm-hmm. dropped this morning on it. Yep. I, I've got most of the way through, but not through. But he was talking about um, so in '48, both Soviet uh, in the first two major Arab-Israeli conflicts, yep. the Soviet Union and the United States were aligned mm-hmm. in their positions. They were pro. They were the first two countries to yep. acknowledge. Israel's legitimacy, yep. acknowledge Israel as a state. Um, then Israel got tied up with France and the UK in the 56, in the 56 war. Yep, and so the US and the Soviet Union came out against, right. both of them came out against the 56 war. Or both of them came then, out against Britain and France. And that was, yes. And, yeah. But that, and was, they, that was because Britain and France had built the Suez Canal and Egypt wanted to nationalize it. They right? did nationalize it. They and did then, nationalize and then it. They, yeah. yeah, and then Egypt and France. Or well, Egypt, Britain. France, and Great Britain, yeah, invaded yeah. to to try to to seize it and and keep it open. Yeah. And then the, and then the Israelis were part of that as well. Yeah, and of course the United States, both the United States and well and Russia, uh, did not want a reemergence of Europe as global powers. No, right. They so they reunited. Both, both. So that was fifty-six. So it wasn't until in between fifty-six junior position and sixty-seven and, that the Arabs are actually able to start to approach the Soviet Union. So yeah. fifty-six was Eisenhower. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Eisenhower and Khrushchev were in agreement on that. Yeah. And again, at this period, and and this is the the key moment, right? Mm-hmm. In that period between fifty-six and sixty-seven. Yeah, that's when that, Arabs, that divide yeah, happened. Yeah. That's when the Arabs made the most colossal blunder in their modern history by allowing themselves to be pulled into the Soviet orbit. Well, I I think there was also something else going on there in that, at least ostensibly, uh, in Libya, for sure, mm-hmm. I think Iraq, and possibly Syria as well, but Libya for sure, that was that was a socialist thing. Yes, it was. So yep. they, they yep. were essentially embracing... Uh, they allowed themselves to be swayed by the disproportionate influence of an urban intellectual class. Right. So is that <clears throat> is that their fault? Yes, 100%. Is, well, is it 100%. the Russian is it the Soviets fault for coming in and and 
Nope, it's not the Soviets' fault. Exploiting that is it the nope. U.S. The Soviets were acting in the in accord with their own self-interest, but it, and the, the U.S. Arab fucked leadership. up by not by you know the West fucked up by not leveraging something that would no, prevent yeah. that from happening. No, I mean the West wanted to maintain some kind of influence within the region. Yeah, Israel was a perfect proxy for doing that. The West got what they wanted. The Soviets got what they wanted. I, I, the Arabs, however should have been able to read their own room and understand that it would have been, a, number one, it would have been, uh, you would have undermined Israel's key ally. And like, again, especially after, after 67, like by, or, or by the, by the time of uh, like, there was three of them, right? There was what? 63 was the six day. No, 67 was six day. Okay. So Yom Kippur was uh, 73. 73. Yeah. What was the one before the six day? It was 56. That was 56. That was Suez, Suez crisis. Yeah. Suez crisis. Yeah. So they should have figured out at that point that um, that their equipment that they're getting is not going to beat Western equipment. Right? That is never going to be on par. Well, they should have no, figured that out. No, they didn't. Well, well, okay. Yeah, they didn't. But the other thing no. is, is that it's always going to be a lot harder to overwhelm an Israel that is fully supported by the West. Mm. That instead of trying to get more support from the Soviets... They would have been better off to undermine Israeli support. The other thing is, why is an extremely conservative religious society allying itself with an atheist power? That makes no sense. That's true. But that makes yeah, no but I, I, sense. I think, I think we're getting off track here. Oh, yeah. You know, when, it, when it comes yeah, to, again, when we're talking about the Palestinian Yeah, what, what I'm saying is, is neither here nor there. It's now made moot by the passage of time. So, yeah, it's not worth, worth well, spending I, I, more I, breath on. Again... Fascinating conversation. Yeah, but not, not relevant. That. Yeah, not, not relevant. I, I, I keep trying to pull this back because if only because in my mind, mm-hmm. there are so many layers to this onion that we haven't gotten to yet. Yeah. Well, um, that are oh, more, again, we have to do like, there are more yeah. germane to <laughs> yeah, this okay. conversation. So let's, let's refocus here. 24 or 48 hours of podcasting just to, just yeah. to pull the first layer of oh, yeah. the onion. So. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's, let's talk about uh, where, where we're at right now, here and now. So let's get let's get back to the anti-Semitic. All right, because that was that's where that was our starting point. Yeah. So um, I will say as a source, I'm using uh, Nelly Bowles uh, TGIF uh, as one of my sources, uh, TGIF column from last Friday on the Free Press, and this is obviously a biased source. Nelly Bowles' wife is Barry Weiss, and Barry Weiss has never been shy about her support for the state of Israel. Right. Well, yeah. And State of Israel. Yeah. yeah. And her, her support for yeah. Zionism. Yes. Yeah. She's yeah. never been shy about it. Yeah. Right. It was one of the things that yeah. made her an odd so, person out at the New York Times. That said, consider the source. So, yeah. Ah, but that's, that's important. Let's get back to that later. Yeah. So, anyway. Um, but she just did a... Her, her TGIF column is like a news aggregator column. And yeah. so, she's just uh, pulled in a bunch of things. And so, there's... Uh, here's, here's like a post uh, that Black Lives Matter made. Uh, Black Lives Matter grassroots stands in solidarity with our Palestinian family who are currently resisting 57 years of settler colonialism and apartheid. As black people continue to fight to end militarism and mass incarceration in our own communities, let us understand the resistance in Palestine as an attempt to tear down the gates of the world's largest open-air prison. As a radical black organization grounded in abolitionist ideas, we see clear parallels between black and Palestinian people. Right. Okay. Is that anti-Semitic? Strictly no, speaking, I, probably, it is doctrinaire, no. textbook definition, no. no. 
It is anti-Zionist but hegemony. Sure, it's anti-Zionist. Yeah. Anti-Zionist hegemony. Does that hegemony. distinction really matter? I think it does. I think it does. It is important. And, and again, this comes back to our original point. We cannot shut down the conversation. In fact, it negates the conversation we should be having about this statement. Right? There's plenty enough to, to discuss, to find right or wrong yes, with, this, yeah. uh, with this statement yeah. without labeling it as anti-Semitic. Sure. Yeah. But I'm saying whether it is or whether it isn't, it doesn't really, doesn't really matter much. The effect on the ground is still the same. Maybe it is motivated by an anti- uh, anti-Jewish sentiment. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Again, I think it does matter. matter. It does. It does matter. How it so? does matter because we don't want to be drawn into every time something like this comes mm-hmm. up. We need to stay on point for the conversation, and we need to. Everybody needs to be able to see that for what it is. It's it's like the thing that you put up, and we we didn't get into because you you had some other points you want to carry on with. Mm-hmm. But that other post that had the picture of the paraglider with the Palestinian flags, oh, yeah. with Palestine, right? Yep. I would have had no problem with I stand with Palestine. Yeah, just say the right? Palestinian flag. Right? Just have the have Palestinian different. flag. Uh, but when mis- you put that silhouette of the parachutist on there. The paraglider, yep. that's how some of them got in. Is that yep. correct? And okay. you're specifically yeah. saying, when you put that up, yeah. to me, you're saying, I'm okay with murdering civilians for the yeah. sake of creating shock and fear. Yeah. Which yeah. is a classic, like my definition of terrorism. Yeah is a strike against strictly civilian targets for the purpose of intimidation and fear mm-hmm. to, to achieve a political result by literally terrorizing or frightening the civilian population. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, so, yeah, most, yeah. Prom- most prominently they used the paragliders to land at the uh, music festival yeah. where so, they killed something they, in the neighborhood of 260 yeah, people. Was, where they just gunned down. Last I heard it was over 300. People, so. yeah. Who were absolutely no threat. Yeah, well, in no, fact, right. it were probably yeah. some yeah. of the most peaceful and yeah. quite possibly pro-Palestinian people you're going to yeah, find. Yeah, you're going to find. It's probably going to be at a rock concert. Yeah. 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 So yeah. there was a, uh, uh, a uh, demonstration yeah. outside the Sydney Opera House. I don't, yeah. We can I listen to the audio this. if you yeah. want. Yeah, yeah roll uh, it. Uh, where they were, crowd was chanting, gas the Jews. Yep. Should come through. It's not coming through. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. Oh. But yeah, I did. I did see this video. Yeah, where they're chanting "gas the Jews." Yeah, probably because it should yeah. be. Yeah. Maybe start it again because they've, yeah. they've switched to the takbir. Yeah, trying from the beginning. Might have edit this out. This says. That's plenty. That's yeah, that's plenty. plenty. Yeah. Yeah. So, point mate. <laughs> <laughs> Again, in some of the many distinctions mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to suggest need to be made along the way here. While at any time hearing this mm-hmm. is offensive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's an advocation of genocide. And yeah. at and in consideration of the events themselves yeah. that just occurred, that makes it even worse. Yes. Right. I am also going to say these are also, and 
be sure please let me elaborate and i'll try to be quick about yep. it without too much hesitation right it's understandable and to be expected right because there there are emotional reactions to things mm -hmm. and this is clearly one of them um that has been that have been stirred up within the palestinian diaspora now right and you know and there are always there are always intellectual logical mm -hmm. discussions to be had right this is obviously an emotional expression right and the reason it's it's to be expected and you know it, it's so many things piling on top of each other there's the reason hamas is ruling was ruling the gaza strip it's because they got voted in because they have popular support because these people have felt so disenfranchised for the longest time as part as you know due to the okay. back and forth grievances and again it's not justifying anything on either side but there's been so much grief between the two sides for generations now right so it gets to that point and they're going <clears throat> you know and the current administration in israel <clears throat> has not been working at all with i'm not really the, cool with this man with the arab peoples hang on I'm not justifying anything. No, no. But right? when you say it's to be expected and understandable, I'm not cool with that. It's understandable that people are going to react this way. We have a whole we have people who are living in squalor and have been for decades Did you and generations. The same charity during the hoax when tr when Trump supposedly said there were fine people on both sides. Before we knew that was a hoax, were you that charitable in the reaction to that? Saying, "Well, this is to be expected." You know, like, yeah, the views of these white supremacists are abhorrent, but given the emotion and the context, it's to be expected. No. See, that's that's why I, I kind of reject this. Like, no, if, if you're <clears throat> going to say, like, what you're saying has logical uh, ground to it, that, yeah, emotions are running high. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of hatred here. But unless you're willing to extend that courtesy across the board... It's not a courtesy. Uh -uh. I'm not extending... Unless you're willing to extend, or let's put those extenuations, unless you're, unless you're willing to say these extenuating circumstances, I will apply to every such inter-ethnic conflict. Dude, that don't wash. That well, don't no, wash. You can't say that, oh, we're going to offer a little bit of understanding for Palestinians here, but we're not going to offer that understanding when, to white supremacists. When I say understandable... Mm -hmm. I'm not. I'm saying that purely objectively. I'm not saying I sympathize with it. I'm saying this is understandable, and in the same context as I'm saying it's to be expected. Right? This is not a surprise to me. That to me sounds right. like a mitigating circumstance. No, and I like, and you're and saying to use, to instead use, of you coming out and saying this is absolutely unacceptable, 100% unacceptable, and must be condemned unequivocally, no qualifications. Well, you're saying, well, you're, so should be, you're shutting me down and you're talking over me as I try to express. Okay. Well, okay. That's, I'm just that, saying that right? that's where you're taking me. I am 100%. If you don't want to go there, there, there are very few, take me somewhere else. There are very few circumstances under mm -hmm. which I will take, um, a hardline stance. such as yeah. you just, just yeah, expressed. Yeah, all right. Yeah. I have already expressed that I find the words that are being used abhorrent. Okay. All okay, right. good. Just want to nail that one down. I have already stated as much. Okay. When I say they are understandable, it is understandable yeah. and to be expected. I'm not surprised in both those cases. That's why I'm using I'm using both those terms. Okay. It, okay. I am not surprised. We that you are not, not surprised. Okay. We should not be surprised okay. if these things were being said. Now, I'm, I am about to utter an absolute, when you draw the comparison yeah. to the guys in Charlottesville, right? Yeah. yeah. Because 
when we're talking about the quote unquote interethnic struggles, uh, uh, hatred, strife, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right, and the grievances behind yeah, that, yeah. right? The they shall not replace us. Mm-hmm. I mean, fuck off. Someone actually brought up a really good point this year. They shall not replace us. You know, all mm-hmm. these all these guys in fucking tan, you know, tan khakis and stuff mm-hmm. like that, carrying mm-hmm. tiki torches. It's the yeah. most ridiculous thing I've seen in years. Right on top of which, they haven't even replaced themselves since 1945. For fuck's sake, right? You mean like in demographic decline? In de- okay, the yeah, Jewish yeah. people have not replaced what they lost in the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. All right, they have not reached those. Okay, numbers. so who was saying they shall not replace us? That's what they were chanting in Charlottesville. The white the Jews, supremacists. Yes, the Jews shall not replace ah, us. Okay. Right. Okay, so gotcha, gotcha. that's why I'm saying there's. In comparison with these I two, I thought I thought the Chancellorsville thing was anti-black. No, it was Char- anti-Jewish. Char- no, Charlottesville. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the guy drove the, his car into the no, protesters. No, and different one. Uh, that might have been later. The same protest. Yeah, there there was, was somebody. Same event though, wasn't it? There was same event. There yeah. was okay. a couple people driving cars into people into crowds, but uh, yeah, there was one at Charlottesville, and yeah. then there was one a couple years later. A, a, a BLM guy drove one into a white crowd. In yeah, Milwaukee. that's different. Though. That's uh, different. Okay, uh, I yeah. thought, and a, but of course, the hoax was made that Trump said, "Oh, there's fine people on both sides." No, yeah, I'm, none. Pretty, that, that's what okay, I'm talking. Yeah, about. I don't want to go down that road. I'm pretty sure I thought he had said that. But a lot of people did. It okay. turns out that it was a hoax. He okay. never actually said that. But right. at any rate, at, at, but the point is that people for a long time believed he did. Okay. Right. So anyways, but I, I, thought, I, I thought that was an anti-black thing. Sorry. I didn't know it was an anti-Jewish I thing. don't compare the grievances of the chants in Charlottesville mm-hmm. to the grievances of the people chanting these horrific things now okay. as the same. Right. All right. So that's what, that's why okay. I do draw a distinction. Okay. Right. And again, I'm not surprised that they're saying this because right now, this horrific act that's been done is seen through a different lens by them, right? No, sure. They have, they have seen... Perpetrators always see things <clears throat> through a different lens. The, no, the Palestinian people are not Hamas. They are not the ones inflicting these things, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, and that's, again, th- these are, there are so many distinctions we need to be careful to make as we have this conversation. And the people of Gaza... Yes, they voted for them, right? So are they responsible? They, they voted for them once yeah, in exactly. 2005. Yeah. Right. It's, right. It's, and, I that, don't, and they've been, they but, haven't relinquished power since. But right. do they yeah. have widespread public support? I don't know. I saw some stats this week, actually. They're, so compared to the West Bank, yeah. right, there, there's still more uh, militant viewpoint within uh been surveyed like yeah, in, yeah. in their attitude towards Israel and the yeah, Jewish yeah. people and the Jewish state. Um, you know, but is there, is there broad public support for Hamas? Like, do they have more than... You say, mean within Gaza? Yeah, within yeah. Gaza. Is there more than, say, 40%? Well, no, it's expressed in surveys, anonymous yeah, surveys, yeah, yeah. 50%. Okay. So yeah, that's right? a pretty healthy... I mean, support. compared to yeah. most, like, democratically elected governments, if you're over 40, you're yeah. in landslide territory. But again... Uh, that to me is yeah. understandable and not unexpected, as in not surprising, given that it's one of the most densely populated places on well, earth yeah. and one of the Who poorest. Who runs? Is it Fatah that runs the West Bank? Yes. Yes. Well, this is what I'm saying. Like, can we make a distinction between uh, Hamas and the people of Gaza if the people of Gaza feel that Hamas 
accurately represents their voice. 50% of them do. And that's undoubtedly that's, that, yeah, that's influenced by the fact that yeah. it is an authoritarian. Like I'm not. It is an authoritarian state. I am, I am not up to speed on the internal politics of, of Gaza and the West Bank. Like I don't know what other factions there are. Have there, like, I'm not aware of any protests, say, in, say, 2016, or, you know what I mean, in the time between 23 and 07, when the Hamas takeover occurred, are the, we can say, well, look, they're, they're an authoritarian regime because they seized power in 2007. There hasn't been a, an election since. Have the people of Gaza felt any burning need for an election? Or are they, or, by and large, satisfied with the rule of Hamas? Or have they had no option? That's, right? yeah, that's, 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 that's the, the question has to be asked. You know, I, I don't know what the answer and, is. And it's, I think it's tough for us to, to parse through that. So I'm, yeah. I'm just saying, okay, my understanding is, based on the single statistic I've seen, up to 50% of the people of Gaza are more or less okay with Hamas and their mm -hmm. stance on Israel, ruling them, right? Yeah. So that's literally glass half empty, glass half yeah. full. Which one is it, right? You, anyone can look at it from any perspective. But, you know, again, it's not the people of Gaza who just did this. It is the dickheads who have been, who have been in charge of the place well, that, for that, a decade That depends. Now. I mean, that depends on, on is, there, is there broad, widespread support for these activities within the, within the Gazan Well, obviously, we've seen, we've seen some of the reactions to well, it, Well, right? that's in the diaspora. Right, but is that in Gaza itself? Well, because it often a diaspora can be very different in its in its outlook yeah. than the whole, than the the original population. I can only right? imagine there's something similar to it, and if not, it's in as much in as much as it's different, it's actually worse in, in, mm -hmm. in a different way because they've they've had what two thousand casualties, sixty uh, percent of which have been women and children. As a result of this, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and so for me, I'm, I'm actually, and I've heard from multiple different sources that you know, some of the Israeli military activity, um, some of the settler activity, it's to me, it's a bit distasteful. It's, again, it's understandable. Mm -hmm. And there's been a, an understandable emotional reaction from the Israeli side. Mm -hmm. um, but... That's a shit ton of civilian ca casualties. And that I don't, is a shit ton I of civilian casualties. I don't believe they're all just collateral. Um, and even if they those that are collateral, um, Israel doesn't maintain any higher moral moral ground, higher moral moral high ground. Sorry, um, by pulling an eye for an eye. Um, yeah, I guess the only the only moral card they can play is that you attacked us first yeah that's it absolutely and not only did you attack us first but what you did was horrific i mean you, you went into kibitzum and yeah. you slaughtered women and children yeah deliberately you know, yeah civilians yep right there's no question that what they did was heinous but again it's it's and and now this is this is where i'm going to say it's understandable um imagine the the anger and the the rage that the nation of Israel has experienced as a result of those attacks, it's pretty hard to say to an IDF strike fighter pilot, hey man, 
Don't hit that building. You might Absol- hit, absolutely. Might hit I get children. it. In fact, I was telling Steve, uh, I was telling Steve this before mm-hmm. you showed up. On my way here, I was listening to the Thrice Accursed CBC, mm-hmm. um, and they they actually had a segment, and it lasted my whole drive here, mm-hmm. less the eleven o'clock news or the ten o'clock news, um, and it. She was interviewing two men who were good friends. One who is uh, of the Palestinian diaspora. Mm-hmm. One who is uh, of the Jewish faith. They yep. both live in Montreal. They're colleagues. Yep. They, they're very, very good friends. Yep. And um, the interviewer herself is of Palestinian stock. Yep. Canadian-Palestinian. Um, and the conversation, the questions she was having were very, very deep and poignant. And it was mm-hmm. basically... How did you two, as very, very close friends, get through the last week? Right. And their responses to her questions and each other uh, and what they experienced. Because they're both, obviously, if they're very good friends, they're moderates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. the things that they were saying, and even in dealing with their own community on the other side of this issue, they were talking about how, how like, the Jewish fellow... I can't remember his name. He was talking about how his community is in so much pain right now. Mm-hmm. So much anger. And he can't, he knows that he can't ask them not to be angry. Yeah. 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 Right? But in the meantime, he doesn't subscribe to the view that, you know, now we need to just go and do the same thing back to them. Right? Right. Um, but, and again, putting those two things together, he... He knows that is the toughest thing is to combine those two statements to his people. Right. Right. I know you're angry and I'm not going to ask you not to be angry, but we can't go do the same thing to these people. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I get it. But, and that's what, what we talk about the grievances. Sorry, Steve. I know you're finally, this is your third, fourth, fifth, sixth time trying to talk. But we talk about the grievances. Yes, there are the immediate grievances and right now they're with the Israelis and rightfully so. But we're talking about the Palestinian people, we cannot forget that they've had grievances for 75 yeah. years now. Right? Yeah. Sorry, Steve. My thing, going back a little bit, is um, the responsibility for the immiseration of Gaza lies with Hamas, not with Israel, not with the West. The responsibility for? The immiseration of Gaza. Okay. Yes. That's, like, that's a word I haven't used, heard before. So, immiseration? Yeah, making them miserable. Yeah, okay. making make the situation. Yes. Okay. Yes. Hamas, this is true. Hamas, yeah. or Gaza gets a lot of aid from the UN, from the United States specifically, and from Israel and Europe and Europe. Right. Yeah. So they get a lot of money. Hamas has a significant coastline that they could use that they could monetize. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. They could create. The, they could yeah. turn. They could, Hamas. Gaza could have been turned into say a. Medi- uh, Eastern Mediterranean Monaco, you know, for as yep. an example of something they or, could have done. Or Lebanon, for Christ's sake. I mean, it was Lebanon. Well, do you has... want to be Lebanon? <laughs> well, what Lebanon? Well, Lebanon, is... yeah, Lebanon right. has in the past. Yeah, what Lebanon is, is was historical. But, you know, they could have created a tax, you know, sim- or similar to, yeah. similar to Cyprus or something like that. There, There's things that they could have done yeah. to increase, to improve the lot of, of Palestinians in Gaza. Um, on your point, um, just on support from Kuter alone, according to a Deutsche Welle article, the Emirate of Kuter has transferred 1.5 billion euros to Hamas. Right. 
since you know since 2000 well now, actually in now hamas is that so. officially to hamas or officially yeah. Yeah. to the state to or hamas to the and, state of and, gaza and yeah. hamas hamas actually the leadership of hamas actually lives in qatar so yeah. um, also the the turks yeah. you mentioned the turks have uh, given substantial diplomatic and economic support yeah. as well as a variety of groups within europe no no question but, I, i'm not surprised but also also i want to i want to point out that the israelis in the last 48 mm -hmm. hours have designated safe zones within gaza and and issued public warnings yeah. to gazans to you to evacuate themselves yeah. to those safe zones because we're going to destroy the other places. Yeah. Um, and Hamas is forcing Gazan citizens to stay yeah. where they are to yeah. increase civilian casualties. Because, yeah. and, and Hamas regularly puts weapons caches in hospitals and yeah. mosques yeah. and, and uh, daycares and, and stuff like that. Right? So Hamas has, for years, used the Gazan population as human shields, mm -hmm. right? And it's it's. There's a, I'm really looking at a Guardian article, and it said that you know Hamas is many things, and yes, it runs Gaza's health service. Well, wait one. Are you quoting the Guardian? I am quoting of all the Guardian. Things? Yes. Um, and administers the education service, but at the same time, its police have broken the bones of children for simply wearing a scarf affiliating with Fatah. So, yeah, they are, yeah, I think Steve's absolutely right that the misery of the Gazan population is because uh, Hamas has always prioritized guns over butter. Well, okay, so they certainly haven't ameliorated the situation. No. And I think this also is a point uh, on the side of the column, in, in the column where we check off a box, it says, okay, the people of uh gaza are intimidated by hamas and therefore perhaps um, or maybe don't at the very least propagandized maybe yeah, yeah. well keep keeping the population of, of gaza uh immiserated yeah. as as they do uh, serves a couple of ends for hamas one it's mm -hmm. always propaganda yep. right oh look at the misery we live in look at the misery it's always israel's fault and he's uh two uh giving uh or, or preventing uh, young men of Gaza from having any other outlets. Yeah. Right? So they can't get jobs. So Absolutely. actually, is Israel just started um, just before this, uh, I guess last year or year before, uh, started issuing more work permits to Gazans to work mm -hmm. in Israel, right? Um, the situation in the West Bank is much different. For for example, like SodaStream, which is an Israeli company, yep. does all their manufacturing in the West Bank. Right, and it's done by West by people in the West Bank as a project, you know. Yeah, and and Fatah is a much uh, is a secular uh, Arab political organization, whereas as Hamas is a specifically religious one. But so, so by keeping Gaza uh, in in that miserable state, they they keep a steady supply of recruits who have no other no other uh, outlet uh, to exercise their their their. Yeah, which which the funny thing for me is I think I brought right. it up before, but. To your point, all one has to do is look at the Irish example and what happened since the Good Friday Accords, right? Um, the Irish economy, and by extension, the Northern Irish economy, got so much better yeah. that all of a sudden, like, that there was, young men had better things to do with their yes. time. And they had yeah. money to do it with, you know? And, um, it, and that makes, that takes away a lot of maneuver room for religious fundamentalists on either side yeah. yeah who when they're trying to like uh, the whole bit about brexit 
Yeah. And how do we resolve the border between the North and the South? Um, a lot of people really tried to exploit that to ramp up hostilities again. Yeah. yeah. But it lacked popular support because, yeah. yeah people there was, said, there was a period of, 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 of prosperity and peace. Yeah. Right? Like, say, look, well, man, I've got a job. I've got, I, I'm doing better now than my parents ever did. Why would yeah. I throw that away yeah. over, yeah, sure, it's an important issue. But there are other ways that we can resolve this. Well, astonishingly, prosperity think, is an amazing yeah. preventer of conflict. Astonishingly, yeah. it, 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 for two reasons, uh, I was surprised that they they actually decided to focus on okay, whatever solution is going to come out of this, it's going to leave the border between Ulster and um, Air. and yeah. the Republic open, yeah. Yeah. right? Even though. We just voted for Brexit, but Northern Ireland. Yeah. One of the reasons Northern Ireland voted against Brexit overwhelmingly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and so the Scottish, actually. yeah, and so they want to be part of it. They so that's a good reason to keep it open. The other reason is all the powers that be that mattered looked at that and said we do not want to repeat yes. of the troubles. Yep, and therefore we are going to keep this economic prosperity going. Yep. So if there's going to be and a barrier to trade, it's yep. going to be in the Irish Sea yes. between Ulster yes. and Great, the rest of the. And UK. to be honest, that's really mitigatable i mean there's always going to be a barrier to trade between the british mainland and northern ireland because of the irish sea it's always going to be an obstacle loading stuff on and off a ship to take it to you know to scotland or and even then the, the closest journey like what you're going to take it to to liverpool maybe or or you know a uh, one of those one of those ports on the Irish Sea when yeah it's, it's not economically worth mm. like the savings you would get by getting around say trade tariffs and, and barriers between the UK between Europe and a non-European non-EU member are now mitigated by the cost of shipping to Ireland sending it over the open border and then loading it on a ship again and sending it to Liverpool so this is a very, very solvable yeah. problem. So, which is, again, I'm impressed that they, they stepped outside of the box. They identified yeah. the two priorities and found the most reasonable solution, even though it's technically not within the purview of the laws they've just created for themselves, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Getting back to Steve's point, absolutely. So what, what makes it interesting here is so because Hamas was voted in and hasn't given up power, yes, politically... Because that's how they define their mission. Yeah, they're not going to spend that money on the on the people, because they need they need, as Patty said, they need people to be able to look and say, "Hey, look at all the misery here." Still, there's here's a question. Because I haven't been paying attention. Did all of the refugee Palestinian refugee camps in Lebanon have, have those refugees now ended up in the two Palestinian areas, the West Bank and Gaza? No. My understanding is that they've been largely assimilated into Lebanese society. Yeah. So they finally got rid of the camps and assimilated them. Well, they haven't got rid of them. they become permanent settlements. Yeah. they become permanent cities. Okay, but they're not tent cities. They're not refugee camps. No. They're, they're actually neighborhoods permanent now? structures, yeah. Where, I mean, you start with a tent city and then, well, let's round up some cinder blocks. Looks like we're going to be here a while. And then they start developing an economy all their own. And then people start marrying in and out of the so now, Lebanese society. So now society. they're part of Lebanese society. Largely, yeah. Very interesting. So, right? guy, so it sounds like Gaza's the still, only place. Gaza and the West Bank. So, and 
uh, like for example, it's not Palestinian factions within Lebanon that are attacking IDF troops. It's Hezbollah. Yeah. Yeah. A strictly Lebanese entity. So there are people who say, oh yeah, yeah, yeah I'm Palestinian because my, my grandfather was born in Palestine and, you know, so is my, my, uh, my, my maternal grandmother, for yeah. example. But really, when push comes to shove, they consider themselves more Lebanese. Like they're reality, like they say, oh yeah, I'm Palestinian, in the same way that a guy here might say, oh yeah, I'm Irish. Yes. Yeah, no, way, you're, you're yeah. never going to go to Ireland. Yeah, I'm Swedish. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm Danish. Andrew. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's more of a cultural thing. They're not going to up and say, well, you know, if, if, uh, if we were ever, like they have absolutely no plans of returning to, or say moving to the West Bank or moving to Gaza or saying, you know, like let's say some kind of accord was reached um, and, uh, you know, like citizenship was granted, you know, to like say Israel became some kind of multicultural state or something like that. They're not going to pack up and move to Israel. It's like, well, no, I've, I've got a shop here. Uh, I, I run a business here that I inherited from my father. This is what I do. My roots are here. My extended family is here. This is this is where I am. Yeah. So there, there's those ties now that that occurred in Lebanon that did not occur, obviously, in the West Bank with Jordan or in the Gaza Strip with Egypt. Well, here's and this is where my mind went as you were describing all this, right? And it was it was a stream of consciousness coming from what you said that. Yeah, they're Lebanese now, but they're, they're, they're Hezbollah. Right? Or, no, they're, Hezbollah is a different thing. Well, totally okay. different thing. Okay. The, the Palestinians have largely inter... Like, they still have an identity. Yeah. Okay? They still have an identity as being Palestinians, yeah. but now they are tied to Lebanon simply by virtue of being there okay. my for mistake. 50 years. My mistake. I was drawing... You were, I thought you were talking about Palestinians... Who are now Lebanese? Who happen to be Hezbollah? As no, well. but here's no. here's the thing: Hezbollah is a Shia identity, and it's the Palestinians Sh- are Sunnis. Exactly. Okay, so here's the thing: I'm looking at Hamas, mm-hmm. right? And I think this is the strongest argument against the statements that are coming out in support of Hamas. Mm-hmm. Anyone who is coming out and saying because this is anti, because this is liberation of the Palestinian mm-hmm. people, no, it is not. Right, and and I'm I'm not even talking about the acts of terror. Yeah, no. I'm talking about the aims of Hamas. The aims of Hamas are not the liberation of the Palestinian people. The aims of Hamas are the destruction of Israel and all people Jewish. Mm-hmm. And by the way, anyone who isn't yeah. actually Muslim. So getting back right? to the original question, when people say I stand with Hamas, is that specifically anti-Semitic? Not intentionally. I think, and I think the two statements that you've you've shown is it have shown just that because it is, they, it's an ignorance. It's the same yeah. way that we they're were, just ignorant of the fact that that Gazans what Hamas are, really stands for. Yeah, yeah. What, yeah. Gaz, that the Gazans are really in poverty and misery because of Hamas. And Hamas is not a political entity; it's a religious one. Yeah, you know they <clears throat> they are not about the liberation of of Palestinians. Well. There's and this is something that that needs to be to be talked about, like the the conduct of Hamas, like Steve's point about how the miserable conditions in Gaza mm. are absolutely at like the immiseration of Gaza is absolutely Hamas's responsibility. And we talk about the traditional grievances of the Palestinian people against Israel, 
Well, if they had turned Gaza, if they had monetized the assets of Gaza mm-hmm. and turned it into a new Monaco, if they had turned it into, a, like, for example, you are in a very tight geographic area, mm-hmm. very tight geographic constraints, heavily urbanized, what options do you have? Well, you're not going to be an agricultural power, that's for sure. You don't have any natural resources that you can exploit. So then, yeah, what we do have is a wonderful climate. Mm-hmm. And we do have um, beaches, beautiful geography and beaches. And you're right beside a very wealthy continent called Europe, yep. which does want a nice, warm Mediterranean vacation spot. They absolutely kind of monetize that. Yeah. Uh, you do have that as an urban environment um, with a high concentration of population. It makes reform and excellence within your education system sim- much easier. Like say, consider how difficult that is for a place like Finland or Russia, where you have a widely dispersed population. A concentrated population it would be very easy or relatively so, comparatively so, to... Uh, produce excellence in an education system and then have very specialized manufacturing and uh, say the information economy. I mean, you're absolutely right. right. I mean, that's they what they could sh- have done this. They chose not to. Yeah. They deliberately chose not to. And instead they chose the path of warfare, conflict, poverty, and death. This was a deliberate choice. Mm-hmm. Whereas, um, like again, we talk. Well, there's you know historical grievances. These guys are living in a giant open air prison. That's a two way street. Okay, there's nobody trying to get into Gaza. All right, mm-hmm. there are no there are no Africans fleeing poverty who are saying, "Let's go to Gaza, man." Yeah, well, absolutely. They're not the Monaco <clears throat> of, of the Arab world. Let's go yeah. there because that's where prosperity there's is. There's still Don't an element, that. and and again, there are so many things playing into this. Right? There's there's still an element of people going. They're going back to 75 years and they're going, this is my home. This is where my grandfather came from. This mm-hmm. was our land. I can see the land okay. that my grandfather owned. It was taken Fair. from him, right? So they're still on that. There's still those grievances, right? Um, and, and again, there's there's so much bullshit to fling back and forth in history. And it's it's all fresh in people's mind. And mm-hmm. organizations like Hamas... Exploit uh, Exploit it and keep, yeah. it, keep it active, right? One of the reasons I asked about the camps in Lebanon is because... Because I know mm-hmm. that the other Arab nations, rich as they are, deliberately kept the refugees in those camps mm-hmm. for generations. Yep. So that the rest of the world would look at it and see the Palestinian problem for what it was still. Right? Perpetuating it instead well, of solving it. So, I mean, I, I think it's well, it's for, a bit for, counterintuitive to, to go, well, it's, it's, it's Hamas's fault that... Gaza sucks across yeah. the board, right? Yeah. One of the reasons that Gaza even exists now as an autonomous, mm-hmm. as autonomous and separate from Israel is because of a peace process mm-hmm. that actually started yeah. getting the foot in the door yeah. towards a two-state solution. Yeah. Right? Well, for a comparative, let's look at Germany. Mm-hmm. Had uh, a huge, something like over a quarter or something like a third of its population. Mm-hmm ethnically cleansed from what is now other countries. Mm-hmm. You have a very, very... What, and what, sorry, please explain. Say Poland, uh, primarily Poland, the territories of uh, four, and half of Russia, East Prussia, Pomerania, Silesia. 
Okay. Those uh, basically almost 50% of Germany in 1939 was now redistributed to the Czech Republic, Poland, and uh, the Soviet Union. So we've got that population that's massively shifted into what became the Federal Republic of Germany and the German Democratic Republic. So you're saying those people were, these were German-speaking peoples that were taken yep. from those places and yes. shifted to the... ethnically cleansed across the Oder-Neisse line. Into the FDR. Okay. We're not the Oder-Neisse line, uh, across the, the, the... The Elbe. Yeah, the Oder. Yeah, the Oder River. Into uh, like the border, current-day border between Poland and Germany. Okay. Massive German population relocated. Okay. A real and genuine concern for the Federal Republic mm-hmm. going through in the 1950s is, of course, they're trying to rehabilitate Germany's image within Europe and integrate within a Europe that still very much remembers German aggression. Mm-hmm. How do we deter German revanchism? Because there were very, very large and popular movements, say from 45 to 55 in Germany, that saw that refused, that, that, that rejected the idea of two Germanys. And like, I remember seeing uh, like in a museum, an electoral uh, or uh, election poster of a moderate party, like I think the Christian Democrats, that clearly showed Germany in three sectors, that it should all be one. And the far easternmost sector of the three was the territories that were assigned over to Poland and the Kaliningrad Oblast uh, to the Soviet Union there was a very popular movement within Germany saying that, no, Germany should be allowed to reacquire its 1939 borders. That is German territory. Well, how do you defeat that? And the, the approach the federal government took in Bonn was, we got to make people prosperous where they are. Mm-hmm. Now, there was always that, that generation that, that over the age of 20, where they had started to establish their adult lives in uh, Pomerania and Silesia, in East Prussia, um, in, in, in Breslau, in, in uh, Königsberg, in Danzig, that never ever resolved, like always felt aggrieved that they were ethnically cleansed from their homes. And they never really, um, they never really gave up the belief that those territories were rightfully German and should be returned to Germany. Mm-hmm but their children did. Mm. Their children had prosperity in Frankfurt, well, I, I in Hesse, in I, Hamburg, who, who then said, you know what? Yeah, it was pretty shitty what happened, but my home is here. Yeah, I get and, it. And because they were prosperous, they adopted those new homes, whereas the Palestinians never had prosperity, so they had no reason to adopt their new their current situation as a home yeah and this is a major failing yeah of the leadership provided by hamas and fatah well no because i don't think it is a fatah because fatah is actually it as fatah has definitely been doing better than hamas better yes but they still have not delivered prosperity that's in the west Bank. but you were just talking about because they need they need israel to do it yeah. Right. And, and so but it, requires, it sounds like so there. There is some degree. What of was the Israeli company you were talking about? SodaStream. SodaStream. Yeah. yeah. Right. But that's it's just, an Israeli. It's one. Yeah. So that's and one. But it, yeah. it's, it's a step in the right. And yeah. they're allowing for that. But again, yeah. the big problem here is that Fatah is, and this is why Hamas won the 2007 elections, because Fatah is notoriously corrupt. 
Mm-hmm. Horribly corrupt. Well, it doesn't sound mismanaged. like Hamas is any less corrupt because if there's billions of dollars going to yeah. their end, I just think Hamas anything. Hamas directs it not so much to their own private bank accounts, but Hamas directs it towards violence. Yeah, and the Qassam brigades and a perpetual, never-ending war with Israel. In 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 the in the context of of uh, perpetuating their their their. The real objective, as it were, yeah. Hamas is not is not uh, as corrupt as Fatah. Yeah. maybe. I mean, there's still plenty corrupt. Yeah, yeah. Like there are very there. Are, uh, I understand from what I've been reading just in the last couple of days, there are massive villas on the coast which mm-hmm. belong to like beautiful homes that that belong to that, that would not be out of place, you know, in the in the toniest neighborhoods of Southern California or Florida, but they belong to the Hamas leadership, right? So there is definitely. Yeah, there's definitely funneling of some of that money to their own benefit, but it's not as egregious as Fatah in that the majority of those funds, instead of building roads, building schools, improving the water system, improving the health system, they buy rockets yeah. with which to overwhelm the Iron Dome system. Or Who they, is it? Um, uh, like, Fatah does? No, Hamas. 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 Yeah. That they, they yeah. Nothing happens towards in- bombs and warfare. Well, I think it's not all that surprising. I, mean, I think we've... You know, over our lifetimes, we've seen mm-hmm. plenty of examples around the world. The poorest nations, they're the ones who get the most uh, aid from the rest yeah. of the world, but they're also the ones where there's the most corruption. Right. And because that's, I, mean, I think poverty just, what, once a person Corruption gets all creates this, poverty. Government yeah. corruption creates poverty. Yeah. Economics 101. Well, I think it just mm-hmm. stops it from, yeah. it, you know, they, they look at it, they go, Look what I got control yep. of! All this money. Well, yeah. I'm not going to spend it on what it was supposed to be going to because yeah. because I could have it, <laughs> or know, like, or just this is my way I can inflict death upon my enemy, yeah. right? Like uh, I, um, I mean, to say that Hamas is more principled and ideologically uh, has more ideological integrity than Fatah is clearing a low bar. Yeah, but it is still definitely a factor. It's not. That like the biggest contrast between Hamas and Fatah is that Fatah has channeled that money into lining the leadership of Fatah has channeled aid money into lining their own pockets. Mm. The leadership of Hamas has channeled the lion's share of the money into perpetuating constant warfare with Israel. Yeah. Yeah. So are they corrupt? Yes. Are they corrupt as Fatah? No. Not but, by a long shot. But which people are better off? Neither, because the end result is the same. And arguably, you could say that the people of Gaza are far worse off because there are no bombs falling on Ramallah right now. No. Exactly. There are no bombs that's, falling on That's my on argument that Bethlehem ultimately, right now. ultimately for, despite its lack of trying, Fatah yeah. is governing its people better. Well, just because they haven't picked fights that they can't win. Yeah, because that's not their aim right okay. now. Clearing a low bar, <laughs> you know, perhaps I am damning with faint praise, but the fact that they have not led their people into a, a war of attrition that they cannot possibly win, you have to say that the government of Fatah is less wretched than the governments of Hamas. Well, I think the government of Hamas is about to come to an end. Whatever occurs, whatever's left of Gaza, population, infrastructure... Um, you know, physically, mm-hmm. um, and who's governing it? Yeah. It ain't going to be Hamas after this. And 
you know, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe well, the UN steps in. I think their best case is the UN steps in and actually administers the money. Not that there's a lot, not that there's yeah. not that there's not a lot of waste yeah, going on there. Yeah. I get it. Again, I'm just you're saying, looking like you want to shut something off. Uh, no, no. Oh, just uh, actually, I wouldn't mind. I, it's uh, you want to take a pause? We yeah. can pause. I think maybe we, we after yeah. after the pause, we can come back. Maybe talk a little bit more about the military situation instead. I would also like to talk about the effects domestically. That the effects. Uh, How is this conflict affecting uh, our situation immediately? Right. To go back to, like, say, talk about the protests and some of the reaction that I'm seeing, uh, how uh, this conflict is making all the Western nations question their own internal conduct. Mm-hmm. Sure thing. Okay. 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 During the break, Trent, you <clears throat> had uh, you well, started I was, on something. I was looking at the thing Steve had up um, the. <clears throat> The, the tweets? The, the mm. tweets, mm-hmm. right? And talked about the decol- decolonialization so, or decolonization. So for reference, we get, we get three things that are being quoted here, three posts. Um, and, and they're all talking posts. about post-colonial, anti-colonial, yada, yada, yada. Where's this John Collins fellow from? Um, St. Lawrence University. Okay. So quoting some Canadians by the looks of things. Yeah, a couple Anyways, so... But what that brought to mind is, and again, it's, it's difficult to bring up nowadays in the context of what's going on right now. Because it, I'm not about naming, blaming, shaming, right? Okay. Um, but it's, it's contributing factors to the big picture, to the onion, to the layers of the mm-hmm. onion, right? And, and <clears throat> again, it's, I always find, I mean, one of, the, one of the contexts I'm often coming from, and we were talking about this when it came to... Um, our relationship with the Aboriginal peoples in Canada is, you know, I, I don't like using oppressors and oppressed or victims yeah, yeah, yeah. or anything like that, right? But it, it is, to me, it is a matter of relative power, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's one thing that's been playing out in a lot of the conversations in Israel, particularly since um, the, the last, what I'll call, quote-unquote, real war, which was the Yom Kippur in 73. After that, it was like the balance of power fell to the Israelis and there was... There's been nothing that significant until now, right? Um, and so, and then combining that with the the colonial question, the colonization question, and it's and this plays into when I talked earlier about the current administration in Israel and how it it's aligned with the hardline right. Uh, which includes the settlers, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the Orthodox. And the Orthodox and the settlers go, go together quite a bit, right? It's, they're very religious. Some of, and um, from a lot of the quoted sources I've seen, a fair amount of racism towards, um, well, other Israelis for one thing, but <clears throat> towards the Arabs mm-hmm. as well. Um, and so it's... I don't know if the kibbutzim were deliberately targeted because of this, but I mean, this, the fact that the settlements have been pushed on, just going on and on mm-hmm. and on. Um, and again, the Palestinians are just watching people occupy their land. And, and you know, I think that there's, if there hasn't been a, an actual stated um, intent that we should be negotiating with the return of some of this land, you know, I mean, it's definitely been a hope that, 
you know, this land that belonged to my grandfather, my great-grandfather that I can see, right? We might one day get it back and all of a sudden it's being You mean like territories and, outside the current West Bank? Outside the current yeah. West Bank okay. or Gaza. Oh yeah, I guess yeah. it wouldn't be outside Gaza because Gaza's on the sea, right? Yeah. Um, and with Israel on the other side of it. But on the West Bank, yeah. And so they're, they're seeing all these lands that used to be theirs and... Um, and the Israelis are just building on them and, and mm-hmm. just building settlements. And I'm not sure, I'm not going to go so far as to say that this is outside of international law or anything, but it's it's been adding to the tensions and it's been irrespective of any concern to the Palestinians whatsoever, right? And so it... That to me has been fueling a lot of the tension, right? And again, it's but that's what this brings up: this colonization, decolonization, bullshit, right? That's what people are bringing up. And again, from their armchairs, they're looking at this and, and they're using this ivory tower term, decolonization, um, to justify an attitude of their own that's again represented itself in "I stand with Hamas" and I, I'm now going to have a sticker that has a fucking paraglider on it well just for the reference of the or to kind of illustrate this for the listener uh there are three tweets that have been selected that are up on the screen one from john collins i guess of uh, st lawrence university yes um that says uh professor saying faculty colleagues if you think decolonization is fine for your syllabus or the term decolonization is fine for your syllabus your curriculum or your classroom but not for actual colonized people in Palestine, then you've never understood decolonization. And then a follow-up uh, from a professor at McMaster University saying post-colonial, anti-colonial, and decolonial are not just words you heard in your EDI workshop. And then finally, uh, a quote from a writer for Teen Vogue, who in reference to the attack said, what did y'all think colonization meant? Vibes, papers, essays, losers, or calling people who didn't, you know, who are who are aghast at the attacks, a bunch of losers. Now, this is something that this I think really ties into something I'd like to discuss with you guys. And mm-hmm. we also talked about the protests that sprung up across cities across the Western world: mm-hmm. Australia, America, Canada. Uh, Europe, basically the immigration countries. I have never, ever seen the kind of reaction to this event from the moderate right that we have today. The hard right has always been anti-immigration. Always. Mm -hmm. But with the look of these protests, people are asking... How like or or there's a widespread belief that these protests were not spontaneous, that they were coordinated, and that they were planned as part to immediately spring up on in coordination with these attacks. Mm-hmm. Like a uh, point you mentioned at the beginning was a group in the United States started churning out statements of support while the attacks were in progress. Yeah, which definitely suggests pre-coordination. Yeah, and. I am seeing now from, from, from sectors and from media voices and analysts who are always very moderate 
in their criticism of, of immigration or they were in support of immigration, but kind of said, well, you know, it should be, it should be vetted. Right. Mm -hmm. But now I'm seeing more and more analysts asking, maybe we're not asking, but kind of thinking out loud saying maybe multiculturalism was a bad idea. Maybe open door immigration was a bad idea because looking at, you know, these, these statements, uh, from like these, these, Radicals, but also people of of an immigrant background. Uh, I haven't named any names uh, beyond the first one, but you know they're they're folks of you know obviously uh, non or how would you say uh, who have roots in you know the that part of the world. Not that first one. No, not the first one. That, that fellow from Saint Lawrence University is whiter than Woody Allen. Yeah, he's just an idiot from a university, but. Um, uh, more I'm seeing again for the first time I have never seen moderates posing these questions it has always been a sacred cow multiculturalism in Canada has always been you can't touch it if you touch it you're beyond the pale you had to leave that one alone uh, only the radical fringe like the people's party was on that because nobody really paid attention to them mm -hmm. but for say, people in the mainstream, right, say, members of, say, the conservative parties, be at the provincial or federal level, you did not question multiculturalism. You left that alone. That was, that was, that was too far. Yeah. That taboo seems to have been broken with these events. <clears throat> I, I think <clears throat> we've had this discussion regarding other things, other terms, right? Uh, to me, the term progressive. You know what? Fucking humanity is progressive. We're all progressive. We've, we've been progressive over the history In of humanity. In a very, very right. certain look at the word. But we're talking about like Wilsonian progressive. Like when we talk about the progressive era of the 1920s. Mm. So to just say progressive in the sense of, of humanity moving towards a, a predetermined destination or a, or, or, or a, a fixed destination, that's a political term. I, I think of it as more just <clears throat> humanity is always moving towards something better. And, and this is why I think I connect what you're talking mm -hmm. about with politics, right? Is it's just about we're always questioning things. We're always looking at it. We think, okay, how could this be better? What doesn't make mm -hmm. sense right now? Right now, right now we're going through a goofy time. Like the shit mm -hmm. we're seeing on the screen right here is I'm just rolling my eyes. If that's the sound yeah. you're hearing, folks, is, is my rusty eyes just... around. Just, yeah. just, um, oh, hell, I had something else to say. But where do you think this is going to go? Um, so, do you, do you think this new questioning within the West, and it's not just within Canada, we're seeing it across like uh, uh, the immigrant receiving countries, mm -hmm. and this was already uh, starting like this just throws uh, fuel onto the fire in Europe, mm -hmm. which was already. Well, I think um, that's that's the uh, distinction to be made, right? In yeah, Europe, they were already <laughs> questioning the value of immigration. Mm -hmm. In Europe, they don't have the sacred cow of multiculturalism no, they don't. like we do no. here, right? But what I would argue is this: is that well, nobody does. Other again, than us. it's a non-starter. First of all, in Canada, it's a non-starter. Multicultural, multiculturalism, you know, if it, it just is. Right? We are now we are now a multicultural society. We are, but right? the difference here is that we actively discourage assimilation into a broader Canadian commonality. Mm -hmm. We actively discourage it and we suppress it where we see it. Although 
it does seep through the cracks. No, I mean, again, well, for, well what, I, what I mean by this is we broadcast hockey games in Punjabi. Mm-hmm. Now, someone might see, oh, that's a triumph of, a, of multiculturalism. I see it as a sign of assimilation. Yeah. We're not broadcasting cricket games, Canadian cricket games in Punjabi. Uh, no, you know what I mean? No, he's splitting hairs unnecessarily. No, 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 no. Yeah. I'm saying that there are assimilationist forces at work simply by the fact that we all live in the same place. We're all subject to the same weather. But there are cultural norms that gradually become adopted by a population of newcomers, whether they're consciously aware of it or not. Now, where we are consciously aware of it, as a matter of public policy, we have tried to discourage that, and we have done everything we can to encourage immigrant nations to sustain and preserve their own cultural heritage and uniqueness. I am wondering if that's still going to be the case 10 years from now. I, th- I think it will be because, <clears throat> I mean, first of all, assimilation to some extent is already, you know, already inevitable. When, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in a, to by, a certain amount. By, yes. grade, by grade 12 in high school, our group of friends, mm-hmm. we, had, we, had a, we had actually a very large yeah. close group of friends, right? Yeah. And in there, there was uh, a kid who had been, who'd been born in India... But, you know, he spoke English, yep. just like the rest of us, yep. right? Uh, one from Hong Kong. Yep. Well, he didn't speak English quite as well as the rest of us, yep. right? But, you know, <laughs> um, you know, it takes no more than one generation. If it, even if a child mm-hmm. is born somewhere else and their parents emigrate here and they start going to school here, like in elementary sometime, yep. by the time they come out at the other end of high school, yep. they're Canadian. Yes. Right. Whatever that yeah. means. So right? yeah, there are always so, going to be certain assimilationist things you cannot fight. Right. So that's why I'm saying that, that but you know, but they, they've but still got a, a little difference. bit of that culture within them. We're right? on. Yeah. And that will, that will likewise always be the case. Mm-hmm. You cannot take somebody from another culture mm-hmm. and even three generations down the road, there is still going to be a remnant of that culture. For yeah. example, the Ukrainian community. Mm-hmm. In across the Prairie Provinces, mm-hmm. that has been here since 1890 to 1910, the, the great waves of Ukrainian immigration. Yep. These people, most of them, have not spoken a word of Ukrainian in three generations, right. and they are thoroughly assimilated into Canadian culture. However, there are still vestiges oh, yeah. of and that it just, Ukrainian it just heritage. Go to their house right? at Easter time. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, like, and and that's fine. But we are at the other end of that spectrum where we, as our government, our public institutions, actively encourage the retention of a culture. Yeah, but that's, that is so artificial you can't even enforce it. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's unenforceable. Yeah, they encourage it, blah, blah, blah. Well, we, it's not we about get, enforcing. And at the same time, we've got Canadian content. Yeah, we've got all these paradoxes. It's and, not about enforcing. It's about telling people like we're giving the official message that you should resist assimilation Mm -hmm. that assimilation is a bad thing Mm -hmm. and that we are inherently better off for diversity Mm -hmm. i mean we keep saying over and over and over again diversity is our strength diversity is our strength diversity is our strength diversity is our strength i don't mean that in the orwellian slogan as it's being perpetuated and the, the way that you are cynically repeating it well, I, I get that i yeah I, I know what you're saying right and i would love to do a, a podcast on that mm-hmm. like is diversity a strength i mean i don't know 
I'm well, no, I, I, I don't think it is. But anyway, I, just, that, I, just I don't want to get hilarious. distracted on that. I find it. But what I'm saying is that now we are questioning in a way that I have never seen before as a result of these events where a lot of people looked up and said, holy cats, what did we allow into our societies? Mm-hmm. I mean, we have this massive movement that is violent uh, or openly approves of violence. We have the, or this massive population of people who um, openly advocate and support the most heinous of acts and they live among us. Could they do that to us if they so chose? What other movements? And again, um, these, 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 these protests look, they, they give the very, very impression of being pre-planned and pre-organized so that we know that these, these foreign uh, entities are now operating within the populations that now reside amongst us. Uh, we've seen with recent, conf- or recent riots with Eritrean cultural events. Mm-hmm. Have our immigration policies and our cultural policies meant that we are now going to be dragged into foreign conflicts that we otherwise do not wish to be a part of? No, no, no. The answer to everything that you just asked the questions regarding is it's all no's why they're, they're all exaggerations they're all exaggerated responses to exa- exaggerated situations they're very extreme so what you're talking about is a very worked up mm-hmm. uh, set of subsets of the population right uh, in response to a very unique event mm-hmm. right uh, one that's very emotional for them. They're easily riled up. These are polarizing times. Okay. Um, and, you know, when it comes to the Palestinian question, the Arab world, and, and the, uh, the Muslim religion, these have a lot of, can have a lot of extremes attached to them, right? And that's what's playing out right now, right? This event should not be forgotten. I'm not saying mm-hmm. it's, it's a forgettable mm-hmm. incident, but it, it its impact will lessen over time, right? And the question you're asking right now and, and the questions that you're basing that question on, they're being asked and maybe should be asked, mm-hmm. but you know, I'm not surprised again that they're being asked at this time, right? But it's not a reflection on all immigrants. It's certainly not a reflection on anyone outside of those particular communities right now. Right, so there's plenty of other immigrants from well, plenty of other parts of the world who are not out there what's, chanting. What's the, the name? Jews. What's the name of uh, the fictional country that that we always used to use in our war games or in our exercises? Kanakistan? Uh, no, no, Entropians uh, no. um, or something like that? Or no, uh, oh, not Spokarians. Something else. I don't know. Some. I don't know what it was. No, at, the, at the time, it would have been... Fantasians. Uh, let's yeah, just say Fantasians. Fantasia. That, okay. that was... It, it yeah, actually was it. Okay. So, let's say we have a large, a large Fantasian diaspora mm-hmm. in the country. Yeah. And Fantasia uh, gets into a major ground conflict with Entropia. Mm-hmm. And there is also a very large Entropian um, diaspora, a community mm-hmm. in our nation. How... Now, let's say that 
the Fantasian community is much larger. And the war effort amongst the Fantasians is being largely supported by donations and financial and to a limited extent, some material support by the Fantasian community in Canada. Is it not therefore a legitimate target by the Entropians? Either well, by I mean, Entropian it, it, factions within Canada or the Entropian government working through those factions in Canada. Okay, well, first of all, we're dealing with a hypothetical. Yes, we are. Right? Well, actually, we're not, but I don't want to name names. Actually, I, I'm going to say it out loud because at the time that we we're doing this, the raison d'être, mm-hmm. uh, it rapidly changed. Yeah. Yep. But prior to that time, it was Balkan. Was It was Balkan. Okay. Uh, the mission was Balkan at the time. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, yep, I, yep. when I got in. Yep. Right? So, um, and we actually, there are documented examples of this happening mm-hmm. again. There were Croatians, there were mm-hmm. Croats yep. and Serbians who had lived side by side for yep. years, decades, generations in yep. Canada, gone along just fine. And they were going back to the home country, picking yep. sides and doing horrific things to each other. Okay. But what happens if they start doing horrific things to each other here? Well, How I can mean, you guarantee me that that's not going to happen? I'm not going to guarantee it to you, right? I'm not. Yeah, so well, then how all, can we continue to advocate said, an open-door immigration policy with multiculturalism that encourages people to retain these old grievances and these old identities? How, how well, can we say that that's a sane policy when we are flirting with such obvious disaster? Are we? And, and yes. How obvious? How obvious and how? How extreme? can you not look at crowds of people in Australia chanting "gas the Jews" and not think that could not translate into violence in our own streets? Because the same laziness of mind and soul mm-hmm. that is being exhibited there in in saying such a pig ignorant fucking thing, yeah, is also not going to manifest itself in any way, shape, or form. They're not going to go out and do anything to anyone. They're out there because they've got an opportunity. Just like it's like this is the closest they're going to step away from the keyboard and be in trolls on the keyboard, right? It's it's just like are are they? It's just like the 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 previous ones that we're looking at where I stand with um, I stand with Hamas mm-hmm. and. It's just like the black movement in the U.S. Bullshit is not like the black movement in the U.S. And you don't stand with Hamas. You actually, because you're talking about Palestinian freedom and liberation, you actually stand with uh, Fatah, not Hamas. Hamas is a religious organization. All right, so shut the fuck up. You, you're talking about how your movement is the same as as uh, your Black Lives Matter movement, is the same as uh, Palestinian liberation. Bullshit. You do not... You, until you can tell me, and we were saying this a few minutes ago, until you can tell me that your people and your movement are going to strap on parachutes and paraglide into you know, some farming community in Utah and start slaughtering people. So you're right? saying to me there's absolutely zero chance, zero chance, or, or at least such a low chance that it's just not even worth thinking about, of ethnic violence and riots, say like what France has seen, France or Switzerland, or France or Sweden has seen. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see it here. And why and, not? Well, because why uh, we, are we more special than, say, the Swedes or the French? Because I actually just brought up an example. We had Croats and Serbs who got mm-hmm. along just fine, yeah. went over there, did horrific things, and came back 
and didn't do horrific things to, to each other here. They were also a very, very, very tiny community, and they couldn't get any kind of critical mass, unlike the Arab communities in Europe. Uh, yeah, in Europe, not yeah. here. And, and in Europe, there's... Well, gonna, there's there was others. a lot of critical mass demonstrated... On the day of the, or like last week in those spontaneous, well, spontaneous air quotes protests, there was a lot of critical mass being demonstrated. And how many of them resulted in violence? None yet. This is what I'm saying. How do, how can you be so confident that these diasporas are not going to be leveraged with the threat of violence? Say either you stop supporting the, the, the entropians. Hey, Canadian government, you either stop supporting the Entropians no, no. or we are going to use... Or no, the Fantasians have the, the large diaspora. Okay. Uh, you either stop supporting the Entropians or you're going to see constant riots like on, on the level of the BLM protests. You're going to see constant BLM-style riots within the Fantasian community that lives in every single one of your major cities. Okay, so now, now we're going to take a step farther away from the conversation, right? Because... All I've heard from you two guys for a year, mm -hmm. for a year now is mm -hmm. all about freedom of speech, blah, yep, blah, blah, yep, blah, yep, blah. Yep. And sure. the trucker protest, that was okay because that was just freedom of speech, yada, yada, yada. But now, Black Lives Matter, that's not acceptable. No, the, the, what they were saying they, wasn't they, the problem. <clears throat> Looting and burning, that was the problem. Okay, but now you've got... These. You didn't have a <clears throat> lot of arson attacks going on on Parliament Hill. I'm just sorry, you didn't. Okay, so let's talk about the all these people who started demonstrating the last mm -hmm. week, right? Freedom of speech. They sure. can do it. Yeah, absolutely right? they can do it. What are you scared of? I'm scared of, again, I didn't hear a lot of stuff uh, coming out of, say, the trucker protest. I didn't hear a lot of stuff about saying, let's murder everyone who's vaccinated. I didn't hear any of that stuff. No, but I didn't hear any stuff shit about, on their doorsteps and no, fucking no, call them names I did not and abuse hear them. Anything? No. Okay. What you're talking about? You're again. You're trying to take what happened to maybe 25 people, and you're trying to impose that upon the entire movement. And I'm not going to let you do that. We did not hear any I, calls I, for I, murder. I refuse your refusal to murder do that. and genocide was never called for on the trucker protest, and for that matter. It wasn't called for in any of the um, Wet'suwet'en protests. It, say what you want about Extinction Rebellion and how I think they're really, really annoying. And I'd love to see <laughs> some of them get their heads caved in by a baseball bat from some frustrated, you know, bus driver. Wouldn't that be murder? Uh, well, yeah, it would be. So, oh, yeah, maybe not the heads caved in, but certainly smacked around. Um, but say what you want for them. They're not calling for anybody to die, at least not directly. Okay. So there is a difference. Yeah, there's, there's a point where free speech becomes like, like uh, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. Okay. So when these guys are start talking about genocide and they're openly chanting it and they're proud of it, they're not backtracking from it and they're getting support in other factors of the society like academia, like cultural, the leaders of cultural institutions are not condemning this. Leaders of religious institutions uh, not all, 
But some, some very key ones, are not condemning it. They're couching their language and they're trying to, well, we don't support, you know, we don't uh, advocate the murder of women and children, but in so many words, Israel had it coming. You know, when you start seeing that language, how can you be so confident that we're just going to continue to live in our peaceful little kumbaya bubble? I have said almost exactly what you said. Just now, you've mm-hmm. described these other people singing, yeah. right? But I've I've been very careful to give it the appropriate mm-hmm. context along the way. Right. All right. Um. And so, and again, innocent until proven guilty. Mm-hmm. Right. There was there is nothing. There's and these are all individual liberties we are talking mm-hmm. about. Right. Frankly, I'm surprised to hear you saying you can't yell fire in it. No, there, I'm not. It's, I'm it's not usually, saying. Don't get me usually, wrong. It's usually me who's saying. With the freedom of speech, don't comes get me wrong. I'm not against protest. Yeah, that's not what He's I'm not saying. Even protest is, is the being, demonstration. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying that that's what's being questioned. Yeah, like I'm not. I'm not making this condemnation. I am not at all saying that people are questioning the right to protest. Yeah. No. 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 Yeah. I'm saying that people are questioning immigration. I know. Should we have allowed um, immigration and and the view of assimilation, even in countries like only Canada has multiculturalism as an official policy, mm-hmm. but it is often held up in other countries as a model. Mm-hmm. It is often proposed by the left in Europe as saying, look, the reason why we have a hard time assimilating your immigrants is because, uh, well, they're saying you can't assimilate immigrants. We should be adopting a, a policy of multiculturalism. It is often held up by the pro-immigration side as the way to go. And this event has caused it to come into question, or at least I think it always was being questioned. It just, you were forbidden to speak about it. Uh, And now people are openly speaking about it, questioning the wisdom of it, not protests. It is, should we have had open door immigration in the first place? And once we, for the people we do allow into Canada, should we have multiculturalism or should we be preaching a melting pot? Should we like? Should we abandon the salad bowl and go for the melting pot? I think I, I would argue first of all that Europe, Western mm-hmm. Europe, um, France in particular, if we're using that as an mm-hmm. example, right, has neither. It has neither the mosaic, like mm-hmm. um, the assimilative mosaic, nor the uh, melting pot, nor the melting pot. Right? Doesn't have multiculturalism. Doesn't have assimilation. Right? It has ghettoization. And that's what it does. It doesn't allow for the integration of these communities. It keeps them segregated. It's really, right? And so you, you really got to wonder if immigration is compatible with the nation state. I don't think any country other than the neo-Europe's of basically Australia, New Zealand, America, Canada, and with a possible addition maybe of South Africa can sustain immigration. I don't think a nation state can sustain it. Well, I mean, it's like mass immigration. It can't. I just don't see any example around the world. No mass of no. anyone that's ever, ever any nation state that has successfully, uh, successfully pursued mass immigration. Well, I think you know it, it can be a number of factors dovetailing the planet's being right. You know, if if you look at it, I think, <clears throat> ironically, mm-hmm. though there was some racism involved, mm-hmm. right? Um, we had Ukrainians, Poles, Germans come to this nation. 
Um, you know, and it wasn't. I mean, it was. Yes, it was but, a problem in, in its but own way. Canada then, has right? always been like Canada's never been a nation state. Always, right from the get-go, there's the duality of Anglo-Franco. And, right. and if you're going to go further than that, Anglo-Franco-Celt. Well, plus we don't have... Canada was never England. We never had... Canada s- was never Scotland. Canada was never Ireland. And we, yeah, we never had centuries upon centuries. You, you're right. Yeah. I, 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 won't, I won't necessarily equate that necessarily with being a, yeah. a nation-state. It's, it's more like being this ongoing culture that has fluctuated and sure. changed. But and it, is like that, always, right? it has always, right from the get-go, mm-hmm. has had multiple national or multiple tribes, so to speak. Yeah. We always had, or first of all, we always had the presence of the duality, uh, not the duality, the, how would you say, the multiplicity of the First Nations. Mm-hmm. You were never dealing with just the Iroquois. And I'm going way back to the time of Cartier. Yeah, yeah. You were never dealing with just the Huron. Mm-hmm. There were, even within the Iroquois itself, it was a confederacy of six nations. Yeah. There was always a multitude of political actors, ethnic actors on the, on the, on the scene. Yeah. You always had, uh, yes, there was the overall suzerainty and hegemony of the English but that only lasted for a couple of decades before it was actively challenged by Scots, Quebecers, uh, Irish immigrants. So Canada always had these mechanisms from the get-go, whereas a place like France never did. Yeah. A place well, like actually, Poland, Japan, South no. Korea, Norway, they don't have saying those they, mechanisms. Saying they never did is bullshit, right? Okay. So just How, imagine okay. a thousand years from now, uh-huh. there's going to be three guys sitting around, they're going to be talking yeah. about Canada the same way we talk about Britain right now. Okay. Okay? Because Britain, right now, we think of it well... At, at most, it, its diversity is the Welsh, the English, the Scots. No, 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 right? no. I would not say that at all. Right? I would say Britain is an incredibly diverse society. Massively diverse. Go to London. Show me one ethnic community in the world that doesn't have over a thousand people in London. Show me one. Maybe Inuit. Thank you. The defense rests. <laughs> well, no, yeah, because I, I, now I think you're arguing. I'm trying to wrap my head around. I think you're arguing against yourself. No, now. I'm saying that I'm saying right? Britain isn't. I'm not saying they're doing it successfully. I'm saying they're doing it, and I'm not saying anybody's happy with it. And I'm not saying it's a strength. I'm saying they are a very diverse society. My my Incredibly point was gonna, my point was going to be this. Okay, all right. So maybe I don't know. Maybe I need to artificially rewind until you know back into. You know, the interwar era. Okay. Before all yeah, yeah. the colonial, The age of mass immigration. All the immigration yeah. to the mother to yeah. the mother country, right? Um prior to that you would have looked you could have looked at that and gone, oh, you you know, if you'd gone back a thousand years. Yeah. You said instead of all these white people, mm-hmm. right? There would have been a whole bunch of different white, white people, people. I know right? it's like the the disdain white people. Yeah. No, there's no no disdain intended. <laughs> White people. So, you know, at they one keep showing up with that skin. <laughs> at one time it was Celts. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Then the freaking Romans showed up. Right? And there were 
two or three different types of Celts okay, at yeah, the time, sure. right? And but, then you had the Jutes and the Saxons and the Angles. But it became and the, the nation state of England. And by that time, okay. all of those peoples had assimilated. And my my yeah, argument okay. is just this, that a thousand years from now, people might just look at Canada and go this, you know, talk about it the same way. Okay. Right? So the things that you're talking about that, that make us, make Canada different right now, right? Maybe Canada's a nation state in that way a thousand years from so now. So we just got to go through several centuries of bloodshed and, and uh, conquest? And, well, no, and, I, I think actually I would argue that because Canada is, it's, it's kind of a new experiment. Yeah. Right? And the closest thing to it is actually Australia, not the U.S. Yeah, the yeah. U.S. was a different well, experiment. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but again, that's what I'm saying: that Canada, Australia, yeah, New Zealand, and yeah. America, yeah, for sure, for sure, maybe South Africa, but for sure, for sure, for sure, those nations are conglomerates, yeah, of multiple different peoples, all yeah. kind of coming together and making yeah. a go of it at the same time. Yeah, they started at very finite points on the calendar. And then out of necessity, they had those, those mechanisms built into, like baked into the cake because otherwise they never would have survived the elements, you know, with the technology of the 19th century. That, those conditions don't exist anywhere else in the world with maybe some exceptions perhaps in Latin America. Like, you know, you could maybe Mm. make an argument that, uh, say like Argentina, Mm -hmm. Uh, or Central America, like like the various nations of Latin America, Brazil, maybe they had those same structures in place. I, I would assume so, but uh, I can't say comment definitively. But I can't tell you any place in, in, in any other country, in, in other words, a nation state, which has those mechanisms. I just don't see how what? mass immigration, you can make it work in a place like Germany, a place like Japan. A place like Nigeria, it's just not going to work. India, it's right. it's so, just not going to work. At least so, not peaceably. Yeah, I, I agree with you that we've been lucky here. In that, I think there's been, and it's it's really again, this is all relative. It's on a sliding mm-hmm. scale. I'm going to put two words together that probably don't belong together. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like it's a, a relative chauvinism, a, mm-hmm. a positive chauvinism, if, okay. you, if you want. That Canadianism, uh, as a nationalism, mm-hmm. is inherently self-deprecating, or it has been, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that I think is is where the whole concept of multiculturalism comes in, because that's how we've looked how we've looked at ourselves. Look at us. Aren't we great? Aren't we polite? Aren't mm-hmm. we nice to each other? Aren't we nice to other people of the world? Right. And I think one of the things that we need to be very careful of our self perception as we go through this exercise is okay. What is really changing here, right? Because I, I think there's. <clears throat> There's two streams of thought coming together with this, this immigration concept. Mm-hmm. One is we've done all right up until now, right? Until lately. I'd say until, let's say till 2012. Yeah. Right. And that's uh, before this whole social media and polarization. And, you know, everybody can have an opinion put out there and find an echo chamber. And, and, and we just get, now we just got the loonies. The extreme loonies are out there, right? That's part of it. The other thing is the immigration patterns nowadays are visible minorities. And this is where we need to be really careful. Right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, are I, I, we, I would agree with that. Are yeah. we pushing back simply because of this? And I will tell you this, right? I was raised non-racist. I don't consider myself a racist. Mm-hmm. I will tell you. Except for white people. 
I will tell you, and the, the first time I experienced this, I may have described this to you. I went into Chinatown in Vancouver with, mm-hmm. with uh, that my friend from Hong Kong. Yep. And I, I looked around after about three minutes, and I realized I was the only white person yep. for two blocks. Yep. And that place was crowded as fuck. Mm-hmm. And I was like, damn, son. Wow, this feels weird. Mm-hmm. Right? Last year, we were in, uh, in the Lower Mainland in Surrey. I went to a shopping mall in Surrey. Mm-hmm. Everyone working there. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say 95% of the patrons, East Indian. Oh, yeah. In, all, in, all from the Indian in, subcontinent. Indo-Pak. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And again, so my girlfriend and I were two of the four people in sight who... Yeah. Who weren't obviously of that community. Right. Yeah. And again, it was I disturbed? No. What's was the it, difference between that and French ghettoization? I can't speak to that right now. I, I would suggest that there's a difference, but I, I have nothing to base that on right now. Okay. Nothing uh, I would say I would I just I, thought it was it was worth asking. Off the top of my head, I would suggest that there's probably a standard of living difference. But is it not also ghettoization? Like what's the difference between say Surrey and Hammerkulen in in Gothenburg? I don't know. Because I probably passed through Hamakolin, but well, I mean, like, like, uh, like, um, um, say some of the 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 problems that they're facing in Scandinavia mm-hmm. with ghettos, yeah, or not just Scandinavia, Europe. Like, look yeah. at, uh, uh, remember the Charlie Hebdo attacks? Yeah, how they originated out of this out of some neighborhood in in was it Antwerp or was uh, it? I think it, it was uh, Brussels. Brussels, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where you know they're, they're uh, ghettos and like the the talk in Europe of no go zones. Yeah. Um, what is the difference in practical terms between that and, say, a place like Dearborn, Michigan, or Surrey? Or well, okay. okay. The, the, the Surrey, ob- Surrey isn't a no-go zone. I was going to say, right, that's right. the obvious thing. Yeah, Surrey right. is not yeah. a no-go zone. There's no, no violence. Yeah. Right. They're not violent places. So, anyway. So, I'm, yeah, that, that, that is a very, very important distinction. In, in fact, and a better I, parallel might be Mill Woods, right? Because, mm-hmm. like... Millwoods has never Mill been. Millwoods is pretty diverse, though. Yeah, but Millwoods monoculture. Millwoods has never been been a no go zone. But Millwoods, there's been a lot of uh, uh, minority uh, gang crime Actually, in Millwoods. Mm, mm. Millwoods is a no go zone, if only because the roads are fucking twisty and named. You can't find yourself. <laughs> you around. can't find it. You can't find your way around. Like <laughs> we've fucking, said, it's not that the police get ambushed; the police get lost. <laughs> Millbrook, ro- Mill, Millbourne Road, Millwoods Road, Southwood. Which one am I supposed to? What? Where was, am I? It, yeah. it was code to keep all you savage Northsiders out. Uh, well, <laughs> you know what? It worked. <laughs> I was a Southsider at yeah. the time. No, I, 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 I grew I up. I grew up in Millwoods. So. I lived very briefly in Millwoods, and yeah. it was yeah. It, it took a while to figure. out. Like yeah, once you know your way around. Yeah, but it. It does take a while to figure that out. Getting back to the question, I think that's, you know, Mm -hmm. again, I think all the questions you ask, they're not invalid, but Mm -hmm. I think time will tell them to be tempest in a teacup, Mm -hmm. every single one of them. Right now, everybody, everybody asking those questions, everyone experiencing the emotion because everyone's going through Mm -hmm. an emotional Mm -hmm. time right now. Everyone's going through some shit. And that's all this is. I really hope so. Brother, I really hope so because that would be an ugly, 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 ugly thing. 
Well, and there's ugly things being said, yeah. right? And there's or, uh, and again, yeah, because ugly things being said, but I'm much more worried about ugly things being done because of the layers of the onion. That's why the ugliness, and that's why it's it's like I said, it's a perfect storm. The stars yeah. are aligned. People are getting out there and doing this thing. Maybe it was, maybe it was coordinated. Maybe it wasn't. I don't care, right? You know, I, I find the things being said distasteful. But it's not like we haven't heard groups of white guys, maybe not as many groups, not at all the same time, saying gas the Jews, right? I mean, it's a horrific thing to say. Except, and, and strangely, except these are the same guys who said that the Jews were never gassed in the first place, right? Yeah, right. like, except for me, the big difference between that is if you round up all the white guys who said, yeah, gas them, even they were never gassed, but if but they yeah. were gassed, it was a good thing. Round them all up, they'll fit on this property. Whereas there were tens of thousands of people flooding out onto the streets with Palestinian flags in support of those attacks. Yeah. That's what, you know, and so to me, that's what's new. That's, it, that's the thing that, that, uh, yeah, that, that's we what really struck me before. as well. Yeah. It was just, we have just a number. These the, yeah. are the times we live in. When, when we think about the event itself, and again, mm. I had to do the math. When I looked at the per capita, mm -hmm. we're talking like, uh, uh, you know, at least this is eight, nine, elevens mm -hmm. per capita. Yeah. It's been inflicted yeah. on, on yeah. Israel. It's massive. Yeah. It's, it's right? a huge, so huge thing. And just, and just the response already. And it, everything's all about Israel right now mm -hmm. and what's going on there. And, and so, and everyone's picking sides and saying stupid and ignorant things, you know, like the, the, the worst are what's coming out of academia right now. The ones mm -hmm. who are supporting, like the stuff we're seeing, that the, the stuff that's supporting Hamas is like, you know what? Fucking think about what you're saying. Right. Uh, and know why you're saying Thinking about it. things is not really big in academia. Well, it's like I Conscious said. Conscious thought <laughs> is not really high on their agenda. It's not big at either end of the spectrum. I'm just right saying, like in all consider the source. If you're asking for rational, intelligent you know, discourse to come out of a university, uh, I think I got a better well, chance of putting something to I like would that. argue that at one point you could have expected that. At one point, but yeah, maybe 60 years ago, but... For the last 40 years, take the dumbest friggin' people on the street and, you know, they're still smarter than like half the faculty at, at the average university. I'm sorry. Well, I, again, I would, I would suggest at best that's a low bar because I, I don't have a lot of faith in the uh, intellectual capacity of the man on the street. Sorry, man on the street, if you're listening. <laughs> sorry, man on the street. Was it the... So you don't have faith in anybody's intellectual capacity? Or? What, what was it the guy said? He would rather be governed by the first 500 names of the Boston phone book than by the Harvard faculty? Or, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a Cal Kevin Williamson thing, I think. Or something. Yeah, yeah, or maybe it was Bill Buckley who said that. Yeah, But, but at any rate, okay. William F. Buckley? We're going back to Bill Buckley now? Yeah, oh, my think, God. There's a name I haven't heard in like... Oh, wow. oh, you can never get away from Bill Buckley. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. Uh, although how, it, it could have gone a year without Bill Buckley coming it, it up? It could have been. You, could, oh, no. Buckley's been mentioned before. Oh, yeah. Has he? So anyway, oh. before we got on this, uh, I think, Steve, you wanted to talk about, say, the military ramifications of this or the military aspect of this so oh, yeah please back to israel yeah o open that one up well so uh the israeli defense forces are preparing the ground in mm -hmm. the american fashion by using the mm -hmm. air force first um i was just watching actually while you guys were talking last i was i was just watching some videos that were coming up on uh, uh the national post website yeah. of uh um there were some airstrikes going on yeah now it's doing the c11 yeah way. But uh, uh, like so, they're uh, they're they're dropping some buildings that they think think are uh, Hamas uh, strong points. Yep. They've uh, they've uh, 
they blown up a couple mosques, which they knew mm-hmm. had weapons in them, and they were proved right because there were a lot of secondaries when they did. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. So um, the um, so they're preparing the ground, but we all know there's going to be a ground invasion of mm-hmm. uh, Gaza. Of Gaza. Yep. And it's gonna be a tough fucking slog. Yeah, I mean, Gaza has urban warfare. Gaza yeah. has at its thinnest yep. the uh, population density of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And in some places, it's worse than Kowloon. Wow! So you know, it's 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 dense. It's an urban fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hamas has had since two thousand and five to prepare the ground, and they have been. Yep. Um, yeah, but it's not like they've been spending that whole time preparing for this. Ah, I think they've been definitely preparing for Israeli incursions. They've been preparing. Uh, I mean, sure. and there have been Israeli not the whole place at once. Not the whole We're not place talking at once. Fallujah here. No, but. They have been preparing for incursions definitely along the frontiers. Yeah. So, and you can only prepare so many places, and we're doing talking about this since like at least 07. And it's going to be a, yeah, definitely the Israelis aren't just going to roll in. No. No way. And uh, to add to, add to the, the difficulties, uh, Hamas has, has conducted or constructed mm-hmm. an extensive network of t- tunnels, yeah, which the Israelis yeah. didn't discover until 2016. Yeah. Right, and it goes connecting all of Gaza. You mm-hmm. know, so add to the difficulty. If like for example, when you rubble a building, you make it better cover yes. and yeah. better concealment. Yeah. Add to that that there's still a tunnel connecting the bottom of that building yep. to other buildings that haven't been rubbled and other places yep. that haven't been rubbled. This is going to be a bloody slog, mm-hmm. and. Israel's got a timeline. This is this is one thing I've been listening mm-hmm. list, listening to uh, Western commentators. Is Israel's got a timeline. Back mm-hmm. in 2016, when their last major Gaza incursion, mm-hmm. they had basically 32 days before uh, American the American government started putting pressure on them to withdraw. Right. They probably don't even have that long this time. Probably not before before it is a democratic president and a democratic uh, yeah. Now what's up of the house, the Senate. Senate. Yeah. yeah. The uh, now the President Biden came out with a very very strong statement in support mm-hmm. of Israel. Uh, Anthony Blinken, mm-hmm. the Secretary of State, also uh, issued a very strong statement after being shown, I guess, pictures of dead and mutilated mm-hmm. uh, infant corpses and stuff like that, and just. Uh, but then the, the day after Biden gave his statement, he gave another statement which kind of was moderating it. Yeah, a bit. so yeah, exactly saying like, "Okay, Israel, don't go ape shit." So so yeah. I can still see. I mean, this is nothing. I mean, 2016 was nothing compared to this. Like the reasons oh, for going no, in, no, right? no, no, so yeah. in that respect, you might right. well be able to. You think stay Israel will have a longer leash? Is, Israel's motivation. Yeah. Israel's motivation is is certainly stronger. This is definitely mm. going to be a much larger incursion than than the one in Gaza. The, the, like the one in 2016 was basically about a soldier, one soldier, I think, was yeah. right. kidnapped yeah. and then yeah. executed. Yeah. Um, and then uh, there's the issue with the, all the hostages Hamas took. Mm-hmm. And Hamas is saying, okay, well, if you if you do an incursion, we're going to execute these, live stream the executions of these hostages. And I'm worried more that they're going to be used as bait, as in the, you know, the intelligence will be linked Maybe. about the, the locations of hostages. And then 
you know, the, the buildings will be, uh, will be wired to blow. Yeah. yeah like they're, they're going to, you know, and it'll take, cause it's a full building. We don't know where in the building or whatever it is, you know, you'll end up with like a platoon plus of Israeli special forces and yep. a company doing an outer corridor. And, and then you're just going to drop the building on their yeah. SF and their, yeah. right. Like and, and drop multiple buildings. And, it's a viable tactic. Right. Like, cause it might work. Yeah. Maybe. And it's going to, if Israel takes the bait. Israel well, has a history. I mean, they haven't really gone out to any great desire to rescue specific hostages since Entebbe. Yeah, but their, their policy officially has been like no one left behind. And yeah, yeah, for obvious reasons. Yeah, but, yeah. Often but I that's think the corpses, right? Yeah, yeah. So, the Israeli <clears throat> government. I think they've already written off those hostages. I, I, think I would that, suspect so. <clears throat> everything yeah. I'm seeing is saying yeah. that they're saying like we can't negotiate with them when we're yeah. at war with them. Yeah, yeah. no, I, and I, and, I, and I this concur, is but. from my experience, limited and purely anecdotal. This is kind of the understanding, yeah, amongst Israelis that if you're taken hostage, be it on a plane, on a cruise ship, or or even something like this where you're kidnapped. Yeah. you're not coming back yeah like like a rescue a rescue mission is a waste of is a recovery mission yeah you will not come out of it alive no matter what your government does you are already dead yeah the uh um uh, but like the, the fight for gaza is an urban fight it's yeah. it is um what i've learned listening being an avid listener to the urban warfare project yep. podcast is that at a minimum uh, urban warfare requires four times the rations, four mm-hmm. times the ammo, four times the water, four times the fuel. Yep. On the, on the uh, versus con- versus conventional operations like what you're seeing yeah. in Ukraine. Yeah. Right. Like conventional field operations. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a very resource intensive. Uh, oh yeah, that's up. No. Um, a very resource intensive uh, uh, form of combat. It's the Hamas is on the defensive. The advantage mm-hmm. is always with the defender. Yep. Uh, Israeli, the IDF, like as a whole, massively outnumbers the number of fighters that Hamas can bring to bear. Mm-hmm. But the amount of combat power that the Israelis can actually bring to bear yeah. on Gaza probably brings those numbers a lot closer to parity than anyone yeah. would like. Certainly, they're gonna, they're not gonna, they're probably not gonna make yeah. the three to one ratio attacker to defender that you want to make. Um. You have to take so, it building by building. But his, here's my question: so, so, what do they do? What's the end game? That's this is yeah. the question. Why? Yeah. Do, why are they going in there at all? Right? Because my first thought is, if if you separate out the hostages as a concept, mm-hmm. as a as as an element to the thinking, the way you were describing it, <clears throat> drop all the buildings, let them have their tunnels, fuck them, right? And just that all all that takes is an air and artillery campaign. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's not not where they're going because they're considering going in by ground, right? Well, to what end? Is, is it, it to raid? absolutely yeah. destroy Hamas? Is it to that's what they promised? Take control of the territory and you know install some sort of governance until they can self-govern mm-hmm. themselves. I'm wondering. I personally have never been a big believer in the two-state solution. Mm-hmm. I've always find, figured, thought that finding a way for Arabs to live within Israel as with citizenship rights is a more sustainable solution than having two very small countries who really hate each other. Um, well, so you're saying, so like, I'm yeah, wondering but have if the Israelis not tried occupation already and found it to be unsustainable? Well, like you said, they you, might have better where results they have citizenship, 
right? Yeah. Yeah, I think relatively speaking, the results were better. Yeah. And I mean, it probably well, needs another generation. Because they, they, and... were, they were looking at, like, they left in 2005 mm-hmm. before Hamas was elected. Um, and, you know, they just essentially walled it off and said, this is the border. And then every once in a while, there would be a small incursion into what they'd called mowing the lawn. Yeah. When, when, you know, tall piece stuck up and yeah. just cut it off and that, that was it. And so they thought that was working right up until last weekend. So they're, I think their thinking has fundamentally changed about what there is. So I'm wondering if they decide, like, look, we can't leave this place to govern itself anymore. And the cost of occupation might be better, might be more worth bearing. Right, yeah, but the, and if you take the whole thing and just say, "Okay, this is Israel now," and you but you have to take it to occupy it, right? That's, yeah. and it, well, that's, that's true. You're right. Have, unless they've been training in urban warfare all this time. Well, and they have been. Is their army big enough to to take on? Like to yeah, take I mean, you're looking at a small, a, a maximum big? force size of about three hundred thousand yeah. people. But and the amount of time that would take, I don't think Israel can. I mean, it's not just the short leash the Americans put them on. Yeah. How long can a country as small as Israel maintain full mobilization? Yeah. And there's another thing, Perun is pointing this out in his video they released earlier this morning. The Americans actually preposition equipment mm-hmm. in Israel that is, they retain a legal custody ownership, yeah. ownership of. And then as soon as Israelis need, uh, need a, a transfer of, or, of, of arms or whatever, they just, they just here's sign the keys. The paper. Sign yeah, the here's paper, here's the keys, yeah. keys and the stuff. Yeah. They've been raiding that stash for Ukraine. Oh. So, you know, something that I truly, honestly believe is coming out of this. Okay, let me preface this. What Now, it's pretty much broadly accepted that the Iranians are the larger power backing Hamas. Yeah, they have to be. So we're what talking is, about who's pulling the strings well, and benefiting. The, the question is, okay. now shit gets Is real. the Russians go to the Iranians and the Iranians with Hamas? 100%. And, right? Yeah. 100%. So the Russians say, okay, they look at the ground in August. They see where this is going. Yeah. They know that this ends badly for them, yeah. that they cannot stop the Ukrainians in what they're doing. It's only a matter of time before the Ukrainians make the Sea of, sea of Azov and the Russians lose Crimea. Yeah. They know that this is going to happen, that they cannot stop it. Okay, Iran, we need you to open up a second front. We need you to do this. And the Iranians say, well... Yeah, but why? What's in this for me? And the Russians say, we know you guys really want a nuclear option and you can't get it on your own. We can give it to you. We can give you that Oh, technology. you think that's what's in play? That's what I think is the carrot. Where the Russians are offering some kind of military technology that the Iranians cannot otherwise get. They're not just going to build fighter planes and give it to them. They're no. going to give them some kind of technology that, I mean, because the Iranians could get fighter jets from the Chinese if they wanted to. They could get fighter jets from a variety of, of sources. Mm-hmm. It's something that the Iranians desperately covet that they cannot get through any other means. And I only think of that as some kind of nuclear technology. Well, I think that what about, actually, what about uh, we were talking earlier before we did the mics on, what about the recce by electronic warfare technology? Could be, yeah. yeah. You know what? Any, I mean, I'm sure the Iranians are interested in a variety of things that the Russians yeah. can provide, not just nuke. Although I think nuke could probably be the the, yeah. the crown jewel. Cause the narr- the narrative on the conservative right is is that uh, the the Obama deal mm-hmm. uh, and that Trump suspended and then yeah. uh, Biden put in place is is a is a roadmap for Iran to get nuclear bomb anyway. 
Mm-hmm. Just it maybe delayed it by a decade. Yeah. I think Iran is already benefiting from what's happened. How so? Uh, well, the timing was interesting. Now, I think the primary timing was probably, again, uh, religious mm-hmm. because uh, there, there were some Jewish yeah, yeah. Uh, festivals going on. Well, it's Yom um, Kippur, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, the Saudis were in town looking to normalize relations with Israel. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in the days leading up. Um, and I think politically and within the, the Arab and Muslim world, um, this, again, it polarizes things. It, because the two rivals are Iran and Saudi. Right. Yeah. So Iran gets to give Saudi a bit of a black guy, stirs the pot, uh, gets people looking at the Israeli thing. But they could also be losing their proxies yeah. in the region. Yeah. I mean, they are facing the very real possibility that this is now the excuse Israel needs to eradicate Hezbollah mm-hmm. in Lebanon yeah. and completely smash Hamas in Gaza. Well, I think so they're probably ready to write off Hamas. Is, but that doesn't seem like a lot of gain for me. Like, I don't think that the juice is worth that squeeze for the Iranians. I, I, on the other hand, I don't think Hamas is doing them much at all because Hamas isn't actually them, right? Like the Iranians? Uh, has, or? Yeah. I mean, the, I, they're the ones, they're the puppet. They're yeah, the they're string, the proxy. They're pulling the strings yeah. right now. Hamas and provides they're, they're the meat, but, but Iran provides the leadership. But Hamas, Hamas is, isn't Shiite. No, they're so not. So no, probably, they're not. They're probably yeah. has not always been tied in with yeah. Iran as strongly as on this yeah. operation, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, of and course, he, this is the great problem for the Iranians in that Hamas is more than happy to take Iranian money mm-hmm. and is more than happy to take Iranian training mm-hmm. and is more than happy to take the benefits of the Iranian support. Well, which was probably thousands of missiles because those weren't oh, built yeah. in uh, oh, yeah. Gaza yeah, basements. Yeah, exactly. But let's say Hamas ever achieves something, something akin to victory conditions. And let's say Hamas is able to seize the entirety of the Negev Desert and link up with the West Bank and create one contiguous uh, Palestinian authority. Let's say, and let's say they get to rule it. Mm-hmm. Like, best case scenario for Hamas. Yeah. They're not going to obey Iranian writ. They won't. Exactly. So they, that's they why will Iran- never, ever <clears throat> accept Iranian hegemony over the region. This yeah. event is a one-stop deal. It's done. Right, Hamas has shot its wad, and Iran mm-hmm. knows that. Right, it would have known that going into this. So, right, yeah, I just, I just don't see any benefit I for think Iran other than a deal with Russia. I, I, politically, yeah. dem- it's getting well, a deal with Russia. This definitely yeah. serves Russia. Right, oh, yeah. part of what it gets 100%. out of it, it's a, it stirs up the Arab world. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it distracts prevents- American <clears throat> aid. Yeah. Yep. But from Iran's point of view, it's a, it's it stirs the pot with Saudi. Yeah, it 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 disrupts the Saudi peace process. And one of the larger motivations for Israeli going mm-hmm. into Gaza is because now the Saudis have to be wondering in, in the peace process with the Israelis, did they back the wrong horse? Because the Israelis just got just got shot. Really bloody nose. Yeah. yeah. So point. so well, it depends. So uh, it, it depends on how this plays out. So right? if it fatally disrupts the peace process with Saudi, that's a benefit for 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 Iran. That's probably worth the squeeze. How so? 
Well, so because let, let's say because this disrupts Riyadh, the peace process. Riyadh, Riyadh and Tel Aviv yeah. are the Middle Eastern superpowers as far as military capability, right? Yeah. Both supplied very heavily, obviously, by the Americans. Yeah. So if those two can't work together anymore, mm-hmm. and they've they've actually been working together back channel for quite a back while, channel. for yes, over yes. a decade, right? Yeah. But I mean, if you can open up, openly cooperate with each other. That that streamlines things and makes things easier. And it makes right? uh, definitely right? a united front against Iranian yeah. incursions. Right. So that's 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 to Iran's advantage. It disrupted. Okay. So play that. Play this out. What does this look like in five years? What does this look like in ten? Let's say the Iranian uh, Israeli um, accord or kind of de facto cooperation the, the is Sa- severed. The Saudi or the- sorry, Saudi Israeli cooperation is ceased. What does this look like in five years? Well, I. If I may, I'm going to turn that on its head. Let's say it succeeds. Let's say Saudi and Israel mm-hmm. uh, normalize relations. Then the Muslim world mm-hmm. is looking at the country that has Mecca and Medina, mm-hmm. the two holiest cities in Islam, mm-hmm. normalizing relations with well, Israel. Well, let's say not normalizing because again, that would be that would be very very difficult for the kingdom to maintain. But let's well, say a de facto cooperation, yeah, but like behind closed doors, official hostility, official disdain, they, but unofficial behind the curtains cooperation. They had an official member mm-hmm. of the Saudi government going to Israel. Mm-hmm. I think it was Israel. That or they, they were yeah. meeting with Israelis in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I can't remember in the in the last two weeks. Okay, right. But that's to, different than say like. A, but like, this is out in the okay. open. Okay. Well, yeah, you know but what I mean? but so if but um, if that's happening, then the other yeah. the the Shia part of the Muslim world mm-hmm. is going. You know, we're going to lose a lot of support if you know. The Holy Land is saying, well, Israel's not so bad after all. We're, I mean, we're starting on that. That's that not road. new in that uh, Sadat addressed the Knesset. And yeah, he was assassinated by Egyptian hardliners. But from that moment on, Egypt has openly cooperated with Israel that's in, in several things. That's not Saudi Arabia. No. And Jordan has openly cooperated with the Israelis in mm-hmm. several issues. Yeah. But so, it's been westernized the whole time. We're talking about Saudi Arabia. We're yeah, talking about yeah. home but it's the not, two holy cities. But it's not the craziest, like, it's not, like, earth-shattering. Well, uh, I see. From, if you're, if you're Iran's, from Iran's perspective, I think, and you can avoid having to try and shoot down Israeli warplanes coming from one direction and Saudi warplanes coming from another direction. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a big deal. Coming from across the Gulf, yeah. Right? Like, I mean, Saudi doesn't want... Yeah. Iran to have a nuclear weapon anymore. Nobody does. Than Israel yeah. does. Yeah, nobody so does. So those, you know, immediately the bulk of those intelligence focuses, if they have a piece, mm-hmm. a formal peace accord, they're very heavily concentrated on Iran and 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 keeping Iran in check, if not eventually mm-hmm. actually going to war with them. Um, well, what do you think Iran's goals so, in the Middle East are? Short term. That's a tough one. They're hard to read. The Iranians are really hard to read. Like right? I but do think they want they want regional hegemony. Yeah, they, yeah. they definitely want, and so that's they're they're fighting. There's they're yeah. the Saudis are tugging. They at, definitely at want control yeah. over um, 
They want to protect the Alawite dynasty in Syria. Yeah. And maintain de facto control over Syria, mm-hmm. which would, I believe, give them a land bridge to Hezbollah. Yes. Like they've, they've been trying to support Hezbollah, but they haven't had a contiguous corridor towards them. Well, yeah. they've got Iraq in the way. I believe, doesn't Iran have a border with Syria? No. no. But yes, Iraq is in, yeah, Iraq is a big part Although of it. Although Iraq is pro- predominantly Yeah, the southern, or, southern Iraq is not Kurdistan. Or southern Iraq is, and the current government is, is predominantly Shiite-dominated. And pretty pro-Iranian right now, yeah. And the Iranians have, I mean, that's also a part of it. The Iranians are absolutely working very closely with the Iraqis to try and bring Iraq into its sphere. And so then that gives them that corridor from Saudi, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, a continuous corridor of power from the Persian Gulf to the Mediterranean. Mm. So I would say that's definitely part of Iran's um, goals. That they want to, they don't just, yeah, they want to become the regional power but I think that's how they want to become the regional power mm-hmm. by establishing those countries as an Iranian-dominated bloc. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also suspect that theologically, the Iranians want to be seen as leaders of the entire um, Muslim world. Yeah, yeah. To that's why I say on both those fronts. Yeah, to promote the Shiite politically, uh, faith militarily, over Sunni. religiously. Yeah, they are at odds with Riyadh. So I think that's kind of their short-term goal as to what they want to do. Mm-hmm. But then this, this attack very much jeopardizes that. Yeah. Well, no, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, I think- this, is, this is definitely... I mean, Hezbollah is now in play. And this is now the excuse that the Israelis need to obliterate them, Fine, which they never had before. Hezbollah hasn't done a lot for Iran lately. Lately. Oh yeah, not, they're not the way they are participating in this war. Yeah, but not the way they were achieving things back in the eighties, right? Like they were a big name, and, and yeah. Lebanon was yeah. in the news, and you know what they were achieving. Here's think of what was concerning you half an mm-hmm. hour ago when we were talking about talking all about all these people mm-hmm. who were going out there and demonstrating. Yeah. yeah, right now, what's the effect on the Arab world, the Muslim world, when now? As we're already seeing, they're already seeing Arab Palestinian kids, bodies, buildings mm-hmm. being blown to shit by the Israelis, mm-hmm. right? So now the Saudis are in a difficult position because they were about to shake hands with these guys in some yeah. way, shape, or form, right? That benefits yeah. the Iranians far more than having a Hezbollah sitting the there obliterated, right? Yeah. The IR the the, the the Revolutionary Guard's going to be able to replace bodies in Hezbollah, right? Hamas yeah. is probably written mm, off. No, I don't think they can replace the Hezbollah. Yeah. The, uh, because the, the, the IRC or the IRG does not have the knowledge and the, the, the intrinsic presence in southern Lebanon that Hezbollah does. They don't know the ground. Like, they're foreigners. Any more than, say, the United States could potentially replace the bodies of the Mexican Federal Army, but they can't replace their local know-how in a place like Oaxaca province, right? Mm, so I don't know. I'm pretty sure there's <laughs> a fair amount of Revolutionary Guard embedded. Yeah, but 
again, they don't have, they're not Arabs. But any any, Persians, any right? fight the Israelis have against Hezbollah will not be a kickwalk because Hezbollah is no, full of people won't. who spent the last half a decade because yeah. they were fighting ISIS as hard as the Americans were. Yeah. And they spent, yeah. all, they got a lot of combat experience people who were, yeah. you know, fighting ISIS. But again, they never faced the full brunt of Israeli, like, that's why for Mosul, the next 30 days. In Mosul, they had that, yeah. didn't they? There was some, there was a revolutionary guy they actually traded for some. Yeah, I think so. In that movie. With, I haven't watched it because that movie they were all up against ISIS. Yeah. 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 Um, there's, uh, for the next 30 days, the glo- Israel can take the gloves off mm-hmm. and do pretty much whatever, it, or the, at the very least, the next 14 days. Yeah. Israel can do whatever the hell it wants. Yeah. They've, they, they, its adversaries have never ever faced a completely unrestrained Israel before. And I don't just mean well, not since unrestrained. Yeah. yeah. Well, 73. I don't just mean unrestrained what the, what the United States is going to allow them to do, what the Israeli population will allow them to do. They're the biggest form of restraint on Israeli military power has been domestic Israeli politics and the Israeli peace movement, which is now off the table. Yeah. Off the table. Well, I think, yeah, it's what they allow themselves to do. Yeah. And it, now... Because they're, they're, in a lot of ways, they're, they're only going to give so many shits about what the rest of the world thinks right yeah. now. Now, that's yes. going to change over time, but... Yeah. Um, yeah. For the next, like, few days, maybe I, somewhere between 14 and 30 days... Israel is completely off yeah. the leash. Which means what I'm actually going to be very interested to see, which I think is going to be the critical piece, is how they conduct the ground war. What are their aims and how do they go about it? Yeah. And how many casualties are they about to sustain doing it? You know? yeah. That's why I don't know if there's going to be much of a ground war. That's, that's what I'm wondering as well. They seem to be lining up for it, but... Like, and, I can see raids. And people keep talking about tanks. What are you doing with tanks going into an urban war? I mean, you need, oh, tanks you need are tanks. essential in the urban yeah, war. Yeah, they're absolutely Yeah, but there's only so much of them. Like, maybe it's just because people are just talking about tanks. Right? You need way more ground troops. Oh, yeah. Than you yeah. Do oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But tanks are, like, we're finding in, in Ukraine that tanks are an indispensable. Like, we used to think that tanks were incompatible with urban warfare. They're actually, yeah, and invaluable. we're finding out that they're actually invaluable. Yeah. In the same way that they were in Ortona. Yeah. In that you just keep the tank out of range of the like the infantry handheld weapons or in a place where they cannot be struck by infantry handheld weapons yeah like say firing out a window but it's that survivability and that direct fire option the big gun yeah yeah because yeah. if you got if you got a machine gun nest behind a wall and you can't take it out with small arms fire yep that's what the tank gun is that's for. where the tank comes rolling up yeah and you've got 122 or 120 millimeters of problem solving yeah they just, so they're absolutely, they're absolutely yeah. invaluable in, yeah. in, in, uh, in urban And this warfare. is where... They're vulnerable, but they're invaluable. Yeah. But you can employ them in such a way, like they're not out yeah. the tip of the spear. Your infantry is. Yeah. And then you only bring up the tank for that one shot, and then you pull it back. Yeah. And this is where the Russians, the Ru- like we, everybody laughed when the Russians were bringing out T-55s and T-62s unmodified. Well, that's how they're employing them. Yeah, yeah as, as infantry yeah. support tanks, yeah. as opposed to yeah, there's a difference. Not as That's like, MBTs. When we were talking, we were showing. I uh, had the picture of, of the M10 Booker there. Mm-hmm. That is an infantry support tank. It is not a main battle tank. Yeah, right. It That's is. not going toe to toe with a T90. No, at least it if it can avoid it. If it, it can will. avoid it, yeah. yeah, it is. It is meant as a direct fire support yeah. vehicle for infantry. Yeah. But when when they were fighting in Bakhmut, and they sent out the Storm Z convicts, 
just identify where the Ukrainian strong points are. Then at that point, you bring up the T-55 at the very uh, two kilometers at the very maximum range of the gun. That's the target. Hit it. Pull back. Well, you do the exact same thing, you know, in the urban warfare. And, and then inside, like, because they were talking about the, what the hell was that tank? Um, like the T-80, but with the anti-aircraft turret on it. Yeah. I can't remember. Yep. They're talking about, because the Russians found in Grozny that their most valuable weapon was actually a Zoo-23. Mm-hmm. Because targets in the high-rises in Grozny... Yep. Uh, main battle tanks couldn't elevate couldn't their, elevate guns, their guns high I was enough. Thinking exactly that. And they couldn't react yeah. quick enough. But yeah. a Zoo 23, which is an anti aircraft system, had deterred that traversed very, very quickly because it was yep. designed to keep up with supersonic air. Straight up and it could fire yep. at virtually any angle. Yep. And they found the Zoo 23 was actually the most valuable uh, weapon they had in, in fighting in urban combat in Grozny. Yep. And so uh, that's what that. Yeah. Uh, the, like a Gepard would be there. Oh, handy. yeah. Because you don't always need 105 or 120 millimeters. Sometimes a 40 mil is enough to punch through yep. that wall. Or 25 or yep. a 40 is enough to punch through the wall to get what you need. How much do you want to bet that um, Klaus Maffe is going to get, a, uh, is working right now on a second generation Gepard? Well, they better be. Guaranteed. <laughs> Guaranteed so. some engineers are pulling, are burning a midnight oil. But oh, anyway, yeah. I, I digress yeah. on that. I don't know if Israel will do a massive major invasion like i can see an incursion i can see raids kind of like how the american I, army did those thunder runs into baghdad yeah. in the first iraq war um but i don't see a long-term presence simply because it would generate it would require too much blood too much treasure yeah i i think they have to I think they will go in with very, very specific and defined objectives, and they're based on yeah. destruction. Yeah, that they're going in to destroy something, and then leaving. They're not going to hold and pacify. Yeah. I, so I the, the question that. is, if they keep their promise that they're they're hoping to destroy Hamas uh, completely and and render it completely unable to in the future ever ever harm Israel again, that's a pretty big promise. That's a pretty big promise. To, and I think to keep, if you're not going to occupy Gaza for the rest of the... You for, just destroy for, the infrastructure. Yeah, but then they can rebuild it. Yeah, then you destroy it again. Yeah. That's cheaper than occupation as well. Yeah, I suppose. The infrastructure of what? The, the Power lines, utilities. Yeah. Or the infrastructure but of you have Hamas. To, yeah, well, in, in, but it's the same thing. Right now, it's the same. Yeah, the, pr- same the, pr- the, pro- the problem is, if you're destroying like uh, like utilities, like you say, mm-hmm. then now you're the one who's responsible for permanently immiserating Gaza, as opposed yeah. to yeah. Hamas. Or, or if you, maybe you if, don't if you destroy you, it all. You just destroy it in the areas that Hamas needs as springboards for Israel. Like you further constrict. No, I, yeah, I think Steve's right. But they have declared out loud that they are destroying yeah. Hamas. Yeah, well, they're not going to yeah, stop but, until they do. So that's... How do they do that? And also, how much of that is simply just for... Just rhetoric? Yeah. Yeah, But but having said it, they're they're not going to save face if they don't pull it off. So they need to come out with something tangible they can point to. So it's taking out the the leadership, taking out the bodies, taking out the equipment. Yeah, yeah. And definitely that's true. And I also think that there has to be a mass casualty component to this. You have to... You have to establish a deterrent with the people of Gaza. Well, they're already experiencing it. Oh, no. This is nothing. They have to... I mean, they're going to have to stack the bodies 10 deep. They're going to have to obliterate... Like, I'm talking... um, 
Yeah, I don't want us to be oh, saying horrible. that out loud because a, I horrible I don't, amount of collateral damage has to be inflicted on Gaza. I don't feel comfortable saying that out loud um, because I don't want us. I don't like the sound of those words. Nobody out of does, our mouths, but I just right? don't see Israel and, taking any other any and other I don't path because that's. Genocide. That, that, that's a criminal move. Yeah, they, it is. They ha- it they, is one hundred percent. But again, the Israelis do not think that way. They don't think the way we do. They see themselves in an existential, not just right now, but in a perpetual state of existential threat. Yeah, but they are walking a fine line, and we've talked about world opinion. We've I think. About I think they got to have some carrot with their stick somewhere that we're not seeing yet. Yeah. Right. Like, even if they if they incrementally pacify and, and, and take Gaza. So block by block, know, we're, we're incorporating this block into Israel now. And now yeah, these, these you Gazans... yourself are on a timeline. I don't know. But if, the, if these Gazans who we've now... This block of Gazans mm-hmm. who we've now... We've secured this. We've moved the fence. You're in Israel. Here's school. Here's power. Know, here's man. electricity. Here's water. Here's I think welfare. They tried here's, that. I don't know. I think they tried that. I, I can't imagine them... Well, I can't imagine them allowing them full Israeli citizenship and participation in the Israeli political process. Well, maybe they don't, but if you, if your option is being immiserated and constantly like skulking around the ruins of a former city. No, no, I mean, I can't see the Israelis desiring that end product. The Israelis have a hard enough time assimilating Jewish immigrants. Yeah. Let alone radical Palestinian immigrants. Well, like I said, you know, by the time we convene again, mm-hmm. I'm sure something will have happened. We'll have some notes to compare with. Yeah, I do no. think this is going to be a short-lived thing. I know. As always, we have more questions. Yeah. Go figure. But yeah, it is I really like hard life. to understand. Like, what is, um, what is Israel's, like, I don't even know what the hell they're trying to achieve. Yeah. yeah. What's, yeah, the, what's, what's the end game? If what's it's the, what's not the desired end state? Yeah, if it's not rescuing the hostages. Yeah. And it's not perpetual occupation. Yeah. Like, like it's always, oh, we're going to destroy Hamas. Like, really? Are you? No, I don't think you will. Yeah. Like, is it? I don't think that's possible. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems uh, as futile. Like, without, yeah. without perpetual occupation, it seems certainly as futile as the war on well, terror. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Where's, exactly. Where's, where's ISIS now? Where's ISIL now? Where's Al-Qaeda now? Right. They've all been replaced by other things, but those well, organizations mm-hmm. are essential. Well, and, and that's the other thing is that, is that... Yeah, but as you say, they've just been replaced by other entities. Right. Right? But, so so but the, the, depending the, the on... The conflict <clears throat> and the problems... Are they going to take out Hamas? Is it possible? Yes, they can take out Hamas. But it will well, be replaced well, by well, something else. What will it yeah. be replaced It'll by? It'll be replaced by yeah. something that's the same thing. But I think that's where you're... What you're talking name. about. They need to do the hearts and minds thing. Otherwise, it's just going to yeah, and, and they, they, so. the hearts and minds has has not been very successful for them. So mm-hmm. part of me wonders if they need to like throw a bunch of aid at the West Bank just as a as a reward Maybe. for saying thanks for not yeah right yeah. like just say thanks uh, for not and, being part of this and yeah. and how and have this this but, is the contrast. Uh, but of, on the other hand, is that right. going to help or is it just going to make a bunch of Fatah bureaucrats rich? Like how do you like? I hear what you're saying. Well, if you can improve the well, life of it, the average guy on the street in the West Bank in a market, like move the needle in a yeah, market yeah. way, so that would be 100 percent effective. Don't give, but you can't do that with Hama, with Fatah running the show. Don't give the money to Fatah. If you as aid, 
Give it to companies like SodaStream. Maybe. Say, yeah. here's yeah, a bunch yeah. of money. Yeah. Go invest it over there. You build yeah. your company. Yeah, and, and, and like you, maybe you we'll can, cover some of your losses. If you can end run, if you can end run around Fatah, or yeah. you can uh, get with Fatah leadership and say, okay, here's your cut. Yeah. Let us do what we got to do. Let us do what we got to do. Here's your cut. We'll make your life easier if, ever, if all your people get richer. Yeah. Right? Maybe that's the way you could get de facto control of the West Bank. Just yeah. buy out Fatah. Yeah. Just you buy out you're not getting about control. 100, 120 people. <clears throat> you don't, well, you, what, you're doing control, is, what you're doing is you're getting your Easter agreement. Yeah. Your, yeah, but that's what agreement. I mean is that um, by getting control, what I mean is you stop Fatah from interfering with it. Yeah. You like you want to do a project which ultimately um, raises the standard of living yeah. of of the, the common people yeah. in the West Bank. But you need Fatah to not take step like the political leadership. About 100 to 150 people at the top of the Fatah civil administration. You need to stop them from interfering with you or simply confiscating the fruits of that investment yeah, they, through taxation, through uh, bribes, regulation, and, yeah. this sort mm-hmm. of thing. So you're going to have to bribe 100 to 150 people in Fatah throw a lot of money at them, pay them enough to look the other way. Because again, they also see what you're trying to do. And yeah, most of them probably hate Israel. So you're, you're, you're paying them off, just making them so wealthy that they're willing to look the other way. And then, yeah, you do something to raise the, like the, 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 a tide that lifts all of the boats and then hold that up for the Gazans to say, you could live this way too. Yeah. That would definitely be a long game. And I think oh, ultimately a more well, successful They game. have to play a long yeah. game in the end. But like, in the short-term gain, yeah. um, I think you've got an Israeli population that, is, that wants vengeance. Mm-hmm. They want pain and suffering inflicted upon the Gazan population. Yeah. Uh, and I think this is politically necessary for Netanyahu. Um, I cannot see him surviving this politically if he takes a moderate tone. Don't know well, he's going to survive it anyway. Discussions, yeah. See what's saying. I think before it was before you before you got here before we turned the mics on is that like from what I've been hearing uh, again it's all mostly Western commentators but is like once once this all shakes out in the aftermath everyone's fired probably right. with Netanyahu the yeah. bulk of the government yeah. the heads of Mossad the heads yeah. of the military yeah how did you not see this coming? how did you not see yeah. this coming you're yeah. everyone's fired yeah I can so see that. anyway can see that. so you're all but again Netanyahu isn't going to just accept that fate. True enough. He's going to play well, every and, card he can. And he's a survivor of anybody. He's a survivor. Yep, he's absolutely, so he's a cockroach. I can definitely. In, in the survivor. Team, yeah, exactly. Like, so I can see him, I can see him trying to play to that Israeli rage yeah. and anger by just inflicting mass casualty yeah. uh, on Gaza. I can see, I can see them doing that. I, I, so I just want to clarify when I say BB's a cockroach, I just mean he's a survivor. Like, yeah, exactly. The way a, ro- yeah, yeah. a roach survives everything. Not, yeah. not that he's a, a cockroach. You know what I mean? He's a pejorative. Yeah. Um, yeah. I heard, I actually heard yeah. Gene Simmons say it once he was talking about, he was on uh, Oh, he's on actually on Trump show. Um, uh, the, Go figure. And he was talking about one of the other contestants and he called her a cockroach. So yeah. She's a cockroach. She's a survivor. Yeah. Don't count her out. She'll be, you know. Yeah, yeah. She'll be around. She'll be around. Yeah, she's a survivor. Time, yeah. She'll be around. Yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah, I can I can see that. But I don't think destruction of Hamas is a realistic goal. And I think the Israeli leadership knows that. Yeah. I think all they can do is try and inflict so much suffering and punishment 
on Gaza that it maybe serves as a, a deterrent for the next 10 years from participating, allowing their population to participate in these. Maybe. In these. Well, yeah. I don't know what else they can do. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. I, I mean, I, I think don't only see so far a solution to it in any way, really. There's only so much far they can go before completely out, outraging the, the Muslim world. And, well, yeah, yeah, and but, again, that's that well, could be I mean, Iran's endgame. They've right? already done that. Right. Like, cause Mul- the, multiple times. Because the European powers are going to be on them within the next couple of weeks to say you got to stop because the European powers are worried about their Muslim immigrant populations yes. rising up and creating all kinds of chaos in Europe. This is right? my point. And so then it's... Where up- now people are reconsidering yeah. the value of immigration. This and, is and kind so of what I was speaking after, of. Wasn't it last episode we were talking about immigrations are only saving grace right now? Well, demographically. Demographically. Yeah. But I didn't say it was the only saving grace. I said, this is Canada's, what Canada it's is Canada's doing, is trying to yeah. address it by immigration, but I don't think it's going to work. Like, again, I made points that our immigrants tend to be older. Mm-hmm. We don't have their primary earning years, and they tend to bring just as many dependents with them. Yep. Like, they don't, for every immigrant, you're getting four dependents, mm-hmm. so that it's, it's a net loss anyway you slice it. So immigration is not going to be the solution. And 30% of immigrants in recent years have been... Have, have only been staying a couple of years and then, and then, and then move on. moved on. Yeah. 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 So, so that aside, uh, the idea of, of open door immigration, mass immigration is now being questioned because now you've got some European nations that are looking at it and saying now our foreign population or not foreign population, foreign born population, our, our, yeah. our foreign policy is now constricted by these foreign communities that can hold us hostage by saying you either comply in this realm or we will destabilize your cities. Yeah. Okay, so when that destabilization occurs and we are held hostage, mm-hmm. <clears throat> talk to me. Okay, fair enough. Fair. So let's, again. Oh, okay, in, just, just a thought weeks, exercise on this. In two weeks, we're going to compare notes. What do you say? Would you would agree to something where we say, okay, we're going to take a... Probably not. We're going to do a register. Everybody who holds the... Who subscribes to the Trent School, saying, when this happens, call me. You put your name on a sheet of paper. Mm. They can now sue you for damages when, if it happens. Oh, blah. No, 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 no. No, seriously. Would no. you sign that? No. Why not? You believe in it, don't you? Listen, you believe in what you're life saying, is right? Full of risk. I step. I think. I step yes, but you are imposing this risk on other people. It's not that they chose to assume that risk. You're imposing it on. No, them. no, no, no. Yeah, no. yeah, If I step out in the street and risk getting hit by a bus, that's not my fault. That's because some fucking clown built a transit system in my city. That that's their fault. That's yeah. Not but me. if if people voted for the transit system and said, yeah, it's good. If people are coming up now saying. Eh, well, there's immigration and then they get said oh you're a racist listen you know what you and, know? and if people are saying well maybe we shouldn't do this and you say look you shouldn't be taking this action until you have legitimate grounds for you taking that action you know what happens action. in this Fair. life sometimes bad fucking things I and just, you know and you know what you know you know what else so you're not that you confident know what else? is what you're saying there's no fucking guarantees that bad things won't happen you're not confident then I'm you're not confident at all I'm not confident that saying that stopping immigration as a result of what occurred last weekend, the conversation we just had about it, is the solution to anything. 
I just, I find that a very, very, very interesting, interesting uh, thought exercise. You know what? I'm not as mean as you. I could probably come up with the same thing about you signing your name to some fucking thing. You probably weasel your way out of it. Ah. Mm-hmm. Harder to, just because of the nature of, of, of our philosophical positions. I don't know. But uh, if you do have one, yeah, bring it forward. It would be interesting. All right. It would be interesting. All right. If I feel like beating my head against that brick wall, I'll yeah. let you know. Like something where, I don't know, maybe like deregulation. Or how about if... Your insistence on free speech mm-hmm. uh, leads to some clown saying some fucking thing that's really stupid. And like say, oh, oh, like um, calling for genocide of a, of a given group or something like that? Or? Well, you know, it's something a bit smaller yeah. than that, but, but it personally impacts me. That, well, we do have legislation about that already. Mm. Like if incitement to violence. Like if I say... Um, like, like, if I am making statements, like, let's say you belong to, like, a given, uh, let's say you belong to a given religious uh, uh, group, right? Mm-hmm. Or religion, religious denomination. And I am making statements saying that this religious denomination is inherently negative and should be driven from our communities and, like, we should not tolerate their presence. Mm-hmm. And some guy, Molotov cocktails your house, and in his trial, it's seen that like a whole bunch of statements from me, like say I've been putting this on social media, mm-hmm. uh, like on so- various kind of forms. I write books and, you know, they find two or three books by me, you know, s- making these statements, right, um, on his bookshelf. I am absolutely open to uh, not just civil, civil suit, but criminal charge mm-hmm. for incitement of violence and hatred. So, so if, that sort of thing already exists. So if so, aren't you talking about now? And I can't believe I, I've been trying to shut this conversation down for like twenty minutes. Now. And now you're in it. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something. We're gonna leave it at that. Okay, you're demanding. Well, no, I, you're demanding the last word. Yeah, I, I make no guarantees. By the way, so proceed at your own risk, what sir. What you just talked about. Remember, yeah. we were talking yeah. about. You know, I was pointing out examples of what some of the protesters, the trucker protesters did. Protesters yeah. did. And you yeah. said, well, you're only talking about 20, 25 people. At the yeah, tiny, there, right? so, tiny minority. So, and you're trying to transpose that across the entire, uh, you know, right. across the, so, the entire protest. So let me finish my thought. Okay. So the head of the trucker protest, yeah. or the heads of it, who were, who were giving out the messaging and organizing all this, yeah. right, have somehow... Their messaging attracted and influenced these 20 to 25 people who did these ugly things. Mm-hmm. How is that not incitement? Because is, it comes to we... the reasonable man standard. And this is okay. also already within, well established within the common law. Okay. Would a reasonable person draw mm-hmm. that same conclusion? And that's up for a jury to decide. The Crown must make the argument successfully that a reasonable person would draw those same conclusions. All right. If we say, look, this guy's... Uh, no, no, it's okay. We, we don't need to... We can post oh, okay. it out next time. Okay. But yeah, that, you, the, that standard already exists. All right. The, again, and it's what we call like the, the reasonable man. But I guess in modern parlance, it would be the reasonable person standard. Okay. Um, in order... And the Crown does, from time to time, bring forth those prosecutions. Um, when obviously, A, first litmus test, it feels, can it win? The crown is not going to uh, 
going to enter into a prosecution simply for the sake of um, like trying trying to raise awareness of it like like you could see that like i could see how the crown would say look we're not going to win this case because we yeah we're we're not going to convince anybody a good lawyer is going to going to take us apart on this but we want to raise awareness on it like maybe we want to nip this in the bud and create a deterrent effect by say hey you who's maybe consuming this stuff on socials maybe you who's thinking that you might subscribe to this just know you might find yourself in the docket for spreading this kind of incitement or, or hatred or what have you i would do something like that but by and large it seems the the policy of our our ministry of justice is not to pursue uh, prosecutions for the sake of uh, public opinion. Mm. They don't seem to do that. Um, But uh, that said, they do take action and they do bring charges where they feel they can get a conviction. All right. Let's leave it at that. We've, We've been all over the map. Uh, rhetorically and uh, actually geographically yeah geographically alright everybody Uh, as always comments questions concerns to complicatedpod at gmail.com please uh, yeah we'll look at that after do we have any no I want to say welcome to our listeners if we have any new ones oh Oh, we don't have any new ones no we don't have any listeners uh, audience I'm, rankings. I guarantee it. We don't have any listeners. It's no, just people who clicked on 30 no, seconds and said, this is stupid. Still the same spread. Uh, yeah, so uh, please uh, like and share and subscribe and tell your friends about us if you actually like us because there seems to be nine or ten of you who listen to us every episode. So, you know, if you told two friends and you told two friends. I think they're probably only tuning in to see if we are as stupid as we were last time. That could be. But hey, if it keeps them coming back, I don't care. It keeps them coming back. Thanks, everybody.